right, welcome to the uh, final installment of our Goon Discussions. My name is Joe. I'm here with... George. And I'm Paul. And uh, as per tradition, we are going to be doing an overview of the Goon and Eric Powell, which means... What? Which means we will do... Um, there's a couple more Goon things that we didn't talk about yet. And we also want to poke around some other Powell things that were um, important, I think, to uh, kind of get his... I don't know, just general artistic sensibility. Um, so, let's start with Theater Bizarre. Did either of you guys read Theater Bizarre? Yes. Oh, you did? I did. Oh, but George did. No, okay. no. We're not shaming here. If you didn't, there's a lot of material. So There's a lot of material. I, I gave, I gave uh, homework <laughs> assignment. these homework lists of enormous amount of uh, material for this week. Um, and whatever, you get to it, you get to it. It's not a big deal. We're not shaming people. No, we're here to have fun. But I, I'm going to step up now because this is one of the few things I actually read. Very good. <laughs> right. So, theater, what, what do you think? I was just going to say, it's, you know, it's a natural, flows right out of the goon. Uh, he loves the dark carnival stuff. Roxy Delight comes back. Love it. I was actually, so I was actually thinking, um... Wouldn't it be great if Roxy Delight was one of the Words of Misery? I know we talking about that. <laughs> I don't even know if the goon is part of the Words of Misery, what that means. I don't know what that is. Why not? Right? I think it would be fantastic. Be. Sure, absolutely. Because the second she was back in this comic, I was like, well, oh, she's, uh, she's fascinating. so great. She's the smoking, drinking, stripping machine. <laughs> stripping machine, exactly. Yeah. But um, what a what an incredibly delightful character, no pun intended. The um, <laughs> that's what I do. The uh, but the the artwork in this was impeccable. Mm-hmm. So did you catch like where it came from and everything? What do you mean? So apparently it's from this visual artist in Detroit. No, I didn't. I didn't read any. Uh, John Dubiant. No, I no, no, don't know. Dubiant. D u n i v a n t. You mean he created this universe? So or? yeah. So apparently he's like a sculptor. And he created out in Detroit this thing called the Theater Bazaar. And it's all the imagery that's oh, in wow. the Pal comic that I guess he's appropriating. That's really cool. The, I had so, no idea. For this. So for me, I mean, we've seen a couple different, um, you know, Pal Goon mashups. You know, we had the... Um, Hellboy. Hellboy. We've had, you know, a couple things we we're going to look at. No, Deathlock. Deathlock. And, yeah. uh, you know, this is by far the most successful mashup, Theater Bazaar thing. Because, because I think it ties into Goon's universe already, so it's it's like easier. You exactly, know, you have all that kind of carnival thematic yeah. business, and you know basically what he's doing is this kind of like twisted carnival aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know disheveled and evil clowns right. and things and, like and that. And we've seen that already in like the, that freakish carnival in the woods, and you right. know, where the freaks want to get even with the. Uh, the normals. Yeah. You know. So. Well, oh, yeah. That, that's from the regular goon. Right. And, yeah, we kind of saw it in the last thing we looked at, uh, Colonel Nosferatu's. That wasn't, was that, that wasn't really carnival as much, but they go into a town. Well, I guess it was. Yeah, they have the traveling shows. He likes the traveling yeah. shows. And that's goon's background. He's, he comes out of the carny life, you know. Yeah. So, so Theater Bazaar is interesting for a couple of reasons. Like Colonel Nosferatu, it's definitely a continuation. It's like numbered, you know, it's whatever, number 54 uh, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, it definitely continues on the goon. You know, we made the point last time that the goon is definitively over. Um, in terms of Lonely Street, in terms of what it was, but it, it's, I don't know. So, in the last week, I read that modern uh, Masters series thing, uh, the edition they did on Powell. It's pretty good. It's basically just a series of interviews with him and a lot of, like, extra artwork. There's a lot of cool things. And he, in one of the interviews, makes a point that he doesn't want the goon to ever go away. You know, that, 
that when he, I think he says, when I'm 70, I still want to be able to go out and do a goon cartoon. Excellent. And, right, that's perfect. But I think we're right that that lonely street idea. Yeah, that whole story is really kind of wrapped up. Yeah. So I do like that it's still part of like the canon. The pe- like you know it's sure. it gives a lot of freedom for how this thing can develop can and take, evolve. He could take Goon wherever he wants. Yeah. So the thrust of Theater Bazaar is you have this kind of evil clown Zombo, right? So mm-hmm. it. I don't think that's Powell's like original thing. I think he's taking from that other guy. Okay, I had no this idea. This guy's thing and, and using them. But there's a lot of, you know, it, it's, it takes place on, like, Halloween. And, you know, there's a specific kind of Detroit sensibility to mm-hmm. it. There's all these uh, very interesting, um, I don't know, I guess, like, time and space markers that are impeccable. I, it's amazing to me. The, even, like, I don't know, I mean, there is a story here. I don't think it really matters. It's just stunning visuals. Unlike Nosferatu, which I mm-hmm. think was, I don't know, just the, the same kind of thing, except it didn't have the visual support, you know? Yeah, this is beautiful, actually. It, it's it's incredibly beautiful. I didn't read the Nosferatu, so George maybe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Awesome. Wasn't that for his free comic day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I think that might be why, right? I mean, you're producing something for free comic day. You're not going to... You're not going to go all right. out? It's not going to be your Mona Lisa. <clears throat> yeah, no. I, oh, I liked it fine. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that... Theater Bazaar is special in a way that this wasn't. That's right. the only comparison that I mean to make. Well, Theater Bazaar, I could see going somewhere, too. I mean, that could be a series of adventures and, you know. I mean, th- this world, it seems so fleshed out. It's incredible. I mean, there's this one almost like, I mean, it's one page, but it's like a panoramic shot of, like, all of the monsters and, yeah, and imagery so and all there. that. You, you, you want to know what's going on. What's the story? And it's not in a specific PAL style, either. Right. It, Did he do all the? Uh... See, I don't know. I don't know if he's doing like a mock-up of uh, Duvan Duvian's work, mm-hmm. or if he's collaborating on these visuals himself. But I don't know. Either way, it's a. It's I think it's a perfect mashup. When you get Cal, uh, Powell's characters juxtaposed against those backdrops, it's amazing. It's powerful. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and the Roxy uh, Delight stuff is there. I. I can't remember. How, does she make it out well? I feel like she doesn't. She, I, no, it's been I a think, couple uh, weeks now since I read it. She takes takes care of herself. I think. I don't remember though. Yeah, she's a survivor. I'm sure. That's the joke on her, right? That you think that she's someone's finally got her number and she finds a way to to escape. Yeah, we. I mean, we don't see her escape, but I mean, she thought she was getting out of the contract or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Sign they of blood a, or something, and they end up going to a strip club that's kind of like contextualized by this world and she's she has to get out of a contract she, get, she has to get yeah. somebody else to sub and it's Frankie I, yeah. but I don't know it's kind of jokey I don't think it matters uh, no no much. no I just want her to come back and but she'll be, she'll be okay she'll be okay <laughs> there's a there's a great um, wait hold oh, is that Colonel Nosferatu I, I remember Frankie is is dancing with her teaching her how to dance or doing some like yeah, no, stripper moves was that he was teaching the strippers up on the stage how to to shake it better yeah maybe right? that's because they weren't performing oh, to yeah, his maybe, standard maybe I did read that one then it just yeah. didn't stay with me I don't yeah, maybe it's in ball I don't know it doesn't really matter I think we had it in the end of our trade paperback you didn't have I did it in not, your digital I download I think I looked up online right. somewhere it's how it went so I don't know I, I was going to leave this to the end but I did a, a list of the greatest goon moments did anybody uh, anybody try anything like that and 
theater um, theater bizarre for me was like an honorable mention. It didn't make the top ten, but I, just in terms of like the art layout, I which is weird because that's some a po- really a postscript, and to be that strong, that's pretty uh, impressive. That, you that's know? what I'm saying. You want to hear my top ten? Yeah, we yeah. actually would get them out there. All right, number one, Buzzard in the Tree. Yeah, some of these are just some of these are just, just like a the, panel, 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 panel. That's summer, right. a whole that, But you say buzzer in the tree, I picture you right know, away. Right. I know gun. exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Right, that kind of perched, ready to strike thing. Number two, I I swear for like two weeks I couldn't get the image out of my head. Roscoe staring at the telephone pole, waiting for oh, his right, mother to right, contact. Right, because she's on the line. Haunting. Right. Uh, yes. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. Haunting. Yeah. A lot conveyed there. I know. Um, number three, Guna Frankie traveled to New Dimension. Right? <laughs> yes, the bizarreness, right? And they're having all the strange yeah. episodes or moments. I like that. It was trippy. All, and all in one page. It was totally different. It was so weird. That that whole uh, edition was like a, a crazy mashup of like uh, 50s sci-fi and mm-hmm. like almost psychedelia. Right. You definitely had the psychedelia. It was incredible. Number four, from the Hellboy book, the and it's, I guess it's just a character, but the octopus hot air balloons. Yes. <laughs> right. They stuck with me. Yeah. Around the altar. The tree altar. Oh, well, there is, yeah, there is that one shot right, where of everything, you see... Sort of packed in, right? Yeah, from, like, Goon and Frankie's point of view, like, over the shoulder, looking at zombie priests and the... The cavalcade of villains, right? Man. All ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like an altar with mm-hmm. the uh, the octopi, octopuses, around them. I think we had that same debate then. I think we did. <laughs> um, number five, uh, the final page of the buzzard... Um, uh, Greedy Comeuppance. Yes, yes. The, uh, which is the, the dead boy... Looking up, and it's his final words about the the, the indifference the of the stars. Right. And man, that was just so moving to me. Is this getting boring? No, no I'm, I'm right. wondering if though, like, you, everyone you're mentioning, were you right to mind? As you went through, or did you actually revisit everything? Um, I did a quick kind of thumb through okay. all the editions, uh, but I think I would say three quarters of these I already had okay. kind of laid out. Um, number six, Mr. Wicker skinny transformation. When you know you see Skinny's body right. inside the Mister Wicker, there's one specific oh, okay, moment with, of that, yes. but it happens a couple times. But the first time you see it, the in first like reveal, a right? Big splash page. It is unbelievable. Um, number seven, Buzzard fights the walkie at the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right when uh, he's right, he, the walkie is guarding the the mother. The mother, right? And he oh, has to right, feed him right, to go right. in. Michael's mother. And it's it, that whole sequence of. The riddle, and then he takes out the uh, the knife, and, mm-hmm. and I love that. Um, also, in the same ballpark, number eight is the... Remember that kind of Victorian-style corpse mother dream? Yeah, where, yeah. Haunting. That was beautiful. Where she goes and she starts calling the the, the little monsters Michael, right. and, and, and we, we get tra- the real, but, reality. And then you transition back to reality. It's horrifying. It's horrifying, but it was so well done and so smart. Um, Such pastel impressionistic colors. Yeah. I love that too. Number nine, uh, Roxy Delight. Like yeah. I, I would say that whole that whole comic, you uh-huh. know that that whole thing. But I think particularly those like when we're inside of the club and with Frankie dancing and all of those, and she does the old switcheroo. Mm-hmm. Hijinks, delightful. I I love that so much. Number ten, Strike. I would say the whole story Strike. I, I'm shocked how many of these are coming from. Like non essential. You gotta tell me, strike. I don't. I don't strike know is, is um, you know the uh, the factory fire. The, oh, the oh yeah, 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 the shirtwaist kind of fire. Shirtwaist thing. fire. Yeah, particularly the moment where the the little girl has to come out in the goon. Well, that was 
that was a whole time. That was the first kind of social awakening, I think, for the, of the Guma, right? The social consciousness awakening for me. It's a big turning point, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I have more to say about Powell's kind of turning points politically later. I, but um, So that's like the top ten. I had three other honorable mentions. The Theater Bazaar artwork... The rockabilly drag race thing. I, I was glad you brought well, that, that up because like yeah. you talk about the psychedelic stuff and like I love that just when he does a different style. That's I love that whole amazing. family. You get immersed in that, yeah. That was one part of one comic, but yeah, they just that one little story was so great. And oh, and, and an early thing, um, we talk. I think it's the very first trade paperback is the first time we see Isabella dancing, and then the. She's like down horizontally, and then you see the goon like post just losing his virginity to her, and yes, right, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, very right. early on, yeah, I can picture that. and it's the first They're time in bed, we, right, and then mm-hmm. it's the first time we really see kind of like what Pal can do with a page, right. a splash in pals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about as maybe as honorable mention too? The first time Buzzard uses that little wispy creature. Oh yeah, his um. Wh- oh. You know what? I was thinking about that. That happens twice. Right. You're talking the thing with that has like the uh, the head that has almost like roots right. coming out of they it. They could be flames. They could be roots. Oh, yeah, they yeah, could be vapors. Yeah. You know that that first image where they speak to each other. The, the creature's so haunting and it's yeah. so different than everything else we'd seen before. That it's really compelling. He, do, he does the the riddle, right? Right. Yes. The, the bad man. <coughs> yeah. That that's that's up I there as well. It. Nothing from Chinatown. So that's the thing when I'm looking at them. Because that's a big story, but I nothing, know. no singular moment. I don't think so. Not Battle you know? the Dragon, that moment where he's there. I mean, I think those are cool, but I don't think well, there's was anything... Wicker, was Wicker in that one? Well, Wicker Man is part of that. Yeah. You know, the transformation thing. But when I'm thinking about, you know, Chinatown, or even the Labrazio <coughs> arc as a whole, or mm-hmm. even the, the final, you know, ending, I'm thinking of those as kind of big, right. plot-driven moments, so and not singular... really... Yeah, that's... Oh, George's yeah, turn to right. the... Yeah, that's a skinny, skinny moment where Skinny right, reveals that's, himself that's as Wicker Man. It's just beautiful. It's, a, it's amazing art. Right, because mo- each of the moments you're describing, they just they did something. It was something we yeah. didn't expect, and suddenly it was there on the page. And it, it caught our eye and held our attention, and it really created imagination for us. Yeah, and for me, it was, yeah, it was either something spectacular or something particularly emotional or moving. Mm-hmm. You know, like Roscoe, something like that. So that was all just to make the point For that me, one of the silliest visual moments, and that, that's all it is is silly, but I love it, and I keep coming back to it, is Octopus tied to the front of the car. Oh, the octopus? Or? Well, first, he, the oh, first well, one he is a vampire things. tied to the front of the car. Flaming vampire. That, <laughs> right. But that octopus, that is such a powerful visual. The colors are just right. exploding. And it was the first time he did something like that. Right. There was like no, almost no backdrop behind him. The car in midair, and there's the, yeah. one of those sick No, I, I was top. struck by that, too. I, you know, I love that. Yeah, that was cool. I'm going to give you five honorable mentions on uh, Powell throwaway advertisements that go on in his books. Because <laughs> right? I always love these. Megapill, number one, if you remember that. Very no, early on. Megapill. Megapill was sort of making fun of, like, you know, how to become a steroid man. Oh, and, and it does it makes the kid, like, crazy hyper and yes. aggressive? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like uh, killing yeah. everybody. And, and he didn't want the girl at the end, right? Exactly. <laughs> he didn't care. The Billy Lobotomy kid. I remember that. Mm-hmm. They compelled our discussion about, um, you know, the old comics and, and how you could pretty much buy x-ray glasses or, right, uh, right. opi cushions or things like that. Uh, the all, Psychic Seal. All of which I bought, by the you way. You like Psychic Seal. I like Psychic And then Psychic Seal appears later on, right? Yeah. When, that uh, I didn't care for. I thought that was a little... Uh, I just thought the, you know... <laughs> psychic Seal's not my favorite, but... I don't know, but it's cute. Right? Um, Dr. Heronius Alloy's Cream Corn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? that was, which that, again, shows up later on in the comic, yeah. right? And that was with the, the strange that we actually had 
the photograph of the little boy holding green corn right, right. wasn't so much drawn. And well, that's a, that's a plot point, right? Because right. Yeah. he's we think he the has old, this like grand plan. It's when he's going crazy, and all it is is to like. Right. And the old lady just wants some cream corn at a <laughs> right. price, right? He just wants to sell his cream corn. And anything, 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 atomic brain, atomic, atomic brain, brain right, you know, course. just that, always good stuff. He kind of dropped that at some point, but I guess maybe he does. Use up, and and alloy really kind of fades away, faded out too. And he was man, I love him. I think there was a, a trade paperback of just Alloy, like a little um, a story arc of Alloy. Well, that, that might have been by somebody else. Okay. But he certainly deserves it, though. He was a fascinating character. So, speaking of characters, I did make a Goon Top character list. I was going to wait until the end. No, it's here no, now. This is stuff we need to But let me say this. Give me more Alloy, less Legarto. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, oh, Legarto does have his moments. I think it got a little too much. I was just fucking a lot of work reading this. <laughs> reading, translating and trying to figure out what he's saying. So in the Modern Masters book, um, by the way, reading the Modern Masters, I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard here, or us on the back, but a lot of what Pal's talking about, a lot of his explanations for specific choices, are things that we... We were hitting we on were it right, top, on the, right like, on the Like on the nose on. So, I mean, I can imagine somebody listening to this, having read that, and be like, oh, they just got that yeah. from this. Not me, man. Not the case. What is Modern Masters? I don't know what you're talking about. It's just a series. I don't know who put it out, but um, they take uh, a different comic artist or writer. This is a print? Uh, yes, print. Okay. And you just kind of go through their career. You know, right. he, he's the only one I saw, but there, there's a lot of big hitters on this. Uh, George, you've not seen the Modern Masters on PAL? No. Yeah. All right. It's pretty cool. Check it out. What was the creature I was talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I looking at uh, yeah, no, heaps that right of ruination. Right? The, little, yeah. the creature which we never quite got a name for, I think. Yeah. He shows up again later when... when Yes, he does return. Uh, Buzzard needs information. He's almost like his uh, his inside man. I think that's that's right before like uh, they vanquish uh, Labrazio. Right. Yeah. So, favorite characters. Number one, Buzzard. Number two, Roscoe. So you're saying the Buzzard is your absolute number one favorite Buzzard's character? Buzzard's my favorite okay. character of all time in anything, I think, that's ever been. Roscoe's <laughs> great. Roscoe's a really interesting number two. Yeah, that's, you know, when I'm that's really a real thinking about it, pick for number two. Yeah, but I, I really think that character does interesting things. And I really like how it's developing in Theater Bazaar, too. I, great character. Interesting. Um, three, Alloy. Alloy's great. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. put him up there. Four, Willie Nagel. Love Willie Nagel. You know, I'm the biggest Willie Nagel. He's probably, know, right, he's probably number two on your list, right? Um, yeah. One thing he, uh, Pal says in Modern uh, Masters is that Willie Nagel will survive. Like, he says he's, he cannot not he says survive. He's, the only, he's got a soul. He's the only zombie that's sticking around, he says. He's Something a, like that. He is a zombie with soul. He's so much more than a zombie, though. He's, he's no, just, well, he, he transcended that. Right. Five, zombie priest. Great oh, development. Man, he had so much right. to him, yeah. Six, Roxy Delight. Right. Even though it's short lived, I love the character. <laughs> um, seven, uh, octopus balloons. Who okay. <laughs> say nothing, but for some reason, right? They're they're really interesting. It is such a compelling, imaginative visual. Uh, eight cat. Cat is interesting. Cat's mm, great. Cat, cat, yeah, cat's uh, powerful. Nine. Long you know, you could have cheated and put. Uh, zombie priest and cat together. Well, they are. No, I don't do that. But, but no, you could have, right? You know, like you could have gotten away with one there, but. You'd... Nine long fingers and ten Mr. Wicker. I, I like, I, I mean, I think the villains or the kind of ambiguous characters are so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frankie Norgoon is on my list. Not that I hate them or I just no, don't. I, I think these are more interesting characters. Yeah, Frankie Norgoon already defined. These other characters, you got to see where they're going. I think that's where you, you kind of find stuff out. I mean, they're, they're next probably. 
you know, mm-hmm. when it, when I'm making the list. Well, you know, the reality is we've devoted 16 podcasts to the goon. I don't think it needs right. to be said that we've right. done the character, here there. right? I mean, there is. There's the I mean, reason we've done this. This is the, the Seinfeld thing, right? You, you say, like, who's your favorite character in Seinfeld? Nobody's saying Jerry. It's not Jerry, yeah. Right. No one's saying Right. But it doesn't need to be Jerry. He's amazing. Right? He's the show, right? He's the center. Who is who's it? The, who's no, the, who's the best Seinfeld? Seinfeld? I, I don't know. I mean, it's Elaine. They, they all have their moments. Elaine, Kramer, oh, Kramer George. All, they it's all had their moments. Nah. Elaine kills me. Is it at FDR? Frank Delano Rosencrantz? <laughs> Romanowski? Romanowski? Something like Rosencrantz? I forget. You just know they call him FDR, right? I think Bob Sacamano, right? <laughs> Bob Sacamano? Right? I don't think we ever see him, right? Yeah, he's like... Um, He's like, uh, there's a character. Off stage, yeah. This is the same thing here. No, I can't but, uh, think of it now. I know. They always mention him and you never see him. Oh, man. Damn it. Uh, if this was a professional podcast, man, Look, we would know this. We, we don't think it's paid. We don't have Are there any characters, though, any honorable mentions worth sort of throwing out there that we love? Yeah, that, I don't know. You know? Well, um, you know, like Joey Ball. Well, Joey the Ball is worth mentioning, right? That's so, an and, he, and he buys it, right? He kills off yeah. that villain. I, uh, and Fishy I mean, Pete, of course. I, yeah, I Fishy love Pete's Fishy Pete. I like Fishy He's good for a laugh. Plus, his mother came in the story. Well, again, so you could cheat, say Fishy Pete's mother, and throw right. her in there, yeah. too, right? I made a top five least successful goon characters to be a dick. And I'll tell you what. The uh, the effeminate uh, vampire uh, I didn't, they didn't even make stuff. Really? Right, they, they're they not even list worthy. It's true, they're not. Oh, Pal actually talks about that in that in one of those interviews. And apparently, in one of those Twilight movies, there actually is a sequence like of them playing baseball. So he's just mocking. So it's like very, very much specific. on the nose. Okay, so I, I didn't even know that because we're not familiar. Yeah, with I didn't know that either. But all right, Peach's Valentine number one. Just yeah, crazy. I agree. I agree. And it doesn't even redeem Peach's Valentine that he's saying this is the worst possible thing. Oh, that's yeah. why I put it. It's bad taste. Right. Self awareness of bad taste, which is which leads me into the first Satan sodomy baby. <laughs> All right, yeah, let's go for it. That sucked, man. First Satan sodomy baby. I wouldn't say it sucks, but I don't think it has anything to say beyond just being. It was a throwaway. It's crass, crass. exactly right. Yeah. Let me show you what I can do in my crass. But you could be crass and be funny or creative, like just being just being crass and saying yes, I'm aware that this is all crass and like, well. I, if I we're mean, talking about it, that doesn't sell me. SSB2 has something to say. Yes. It's a way different kind of thing. Way better. Right? So in the first one, I mean... Uh, What's interesting is it primes the pump, right? It gives you one that's really a throwaway, done for just effect. Right? Yeah. Well, then, I mean... So and plus the whole fake letter writing protest <laughs> thing. I hate that kind of shit. The frame story around it. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Clever. Yeah. Why not? Well, all right. So we'll get back to the uh, the least successful character list later. Look how bad we are, man. So what do you think is you think this is just trying too hard to be kind of just shocking because I'll tell you what Palm talks about this a little bit in the interviews and one of the things he says is um, there's nothing really in this that's any worse than what you see on like a South Park right I, I mean I'm not offended by it I'm and just I agree. I'm not entertained by it yeah I don't know that so saying all oh, this is so offensive and bad it's like ah you know if you have to say that. It's, you're appealing to like 12 year olds or something, you know? Uh, see, I don't know. I think that's a little yeah. rough. Okay. I, some of the, I mean. It's, it's like Marilyn Manson. Oh, I'm scary and bad. But one of the things we, I think we've maintained the whole time about Pal is that he has this kind of way of toggling back and forth of doing the low and the high. Yeah, and right, and that's something that gives a lot of flexibility and, you know, I think helps some of his plot arcs along a little bit because you don't have to get bogged down. And I think this is just another example of him trying something interesting. You know what I mean? 
I agree with you ultimately, but this is, you're right. This is like a kind of Peach's Valentine appearance in one of the, I'll tell you what, the regular you, episodes. Have you ever seen the thing on The Onion about Marilyn Manson where he was ring, <laughs> ringing doorbells and, and people would open the door and he's saying, I am your worst nightmare. I'm destroying your suburban <laughs> ideals. And they're like, oh, Marilyn Manson. Right. And, and like then that. close like, the door on right? <laughs> like, you're no threat. That's funny. It's just ridiculous. There is a sense that this might be trying too hard. There, there are a couple little comments in it, though. Um, there, there's a religious critique, right? Mm-hmm. Um, particularly the priest, yeah. He's ready a sequence to go and, uh, where, yeah. you know, the priest is... Once but a, again, it's like low hanging fruit, man. Like, you know, it's easy. I, look, you know, I'm going to reject that argument outright. The The Catholic Church is not low hanging fruit. Are you kidding me? That is a very if easy... You, wait, who's if you that say guy the word who, pedophile, what's the next word? Priest. No, I don't. Right? Th- I don't so think it's out there. It's easy. Who, who's that guy? That the the Catholic League guy that uh, writes New York Times. Uh, uh, they they don't publish his stuff. Donahue is that his name or something? Some Irish name like that. Yeah, the guy. Right. He's a, a a monster. All right, he's a monster. Right, he is. But what does New York Times do? They don't publish any. No, of this no, stuff there was or... something. Uh, he takes out ads in them. I think that's where. Oh, I've maybe read that's his it. Thing. Yeah. and they look like he's editorials or something. Yeah, yeah, but. I mean, th- that, it's that kind of interest that Powell's going after, I think, in this comic. You know what I mean? It's not, right. you know, your average, you know, person that's, you know, old lady that's sitting in church every Sunday. He's going for the con- corrupt aspects of but what... But again, religion. I think that's too obvious. I, I, this Catholic League guy is insane. I'm not, I'm not buying the argument and that I don't think they're he, victims. he has much power, and I don't think anybody's really listening to him. I, I don't know. Does, I mean, maybe oh, there's, I think is I there think a, there's a huge right-wing influence there. Enormous. He, I where think are he, all these crazy people He's, he's one of these guys that is successfully making a traditionally liberal institution like religion into a kind of conservative is, is he mouthpiece. I, I don't, Absolutely. I have to tell you, I work, I work in a church. I don't, I don't, even, know, like, I don't even know people who, who know who he is. Oh, I don't know him specifically, you know? but definitely... His but no, I, I know he him. He's like a Bill O'Reilly type, but, but like you know, everything the church does is right. We have to defend us against Satan and all that. Listen, but, to, listen to five minutes of Sean Hannity, right? Who uses essentially what I, I think the same exact rhetoric. I don't think He's, I can. I, I every now and then you got to tune in. I agree with this. you. Five minutes is, is five minutes too many. You got to. I don't think tune, I can. Ah, you see, that's, <laughs> that's some uh, liberal bubble no. uh, point of view. You got to hear the other no. side sometimes. All right. All I'm saying is. Pal, all right, is is I think doing I something really interesting on the sideline, man. Because like, why not, man? I'm taking it on. All right. Um, so I, I like this one, you know, page where you have a religion. Uh, I'm sorry, a religious kind of like a rundown. Uh, uh, a kind of Hasidic Jew, a Buddhist, a I guess the Pope, um, and even uh, you know snake Muslim. Right. You know, uh, it's, it's Frankie and Burka and a snake handler, making the point that you know. Are they all some kind of, you know, selling you something propaganda? So it hasn't, I don't know that that's hugely successful, but it doesn't have nothing to say. No, okay. He's trying. I guess that's my only point. I don't know. I didn't get, I just didn't get much out of it. There is this weird, uh, I noticed this ad didn't make your uh, list of uh, inserts. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the weird thing inserts. where, where the, uh, I guess they're kind of jock guys are part of this homosexual kind of league, which I don't think is making fun of homosexuals. It's certainly making fun of the spirit Jock, of... Uh, he's saying that there's a lot of suppressed... Right. In this in this gay bashing jock culture, it's yeah. based on uh, repressed homoeroticism yeah. within them. Yeah. 
I don't know. That was really hard to say. I don't know. I don't know if that's right. Brave, but but again, it has something to say. I don't know. Though the end where it just shows, you know, women's breasts is yeah. Again, that's like come on. Is uh, I don't know. Fun. (laughs) It's fun. (laughs) I don't think you know. But okay. I don't know, man. I'm not gonna have that on my book. You're right. That I mean. So when is that coming out? Like mid 2000s, 2005 or six or something like that. He's experimenting. So he waited another ten years before going to the second one. Ten years later. SSB2, I think, does have some very interesting things to say, right? I love so, the, uh, Let me tell you what I like out of that. Sure. One paddle man, Trump, Murdoch, and all them with their dicks. Yeah, their little dicks. Little dicks <laughs> hanging out. I, I, that it's very, very entertaining stuff. All right, so here's, great. here's my grand thesis, I guess, about Powell's career is, you know, if you look at something now versus 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it's so highly politicized now in comparison but I would say for comics in general, you know, this probably being the most specific I think I can point a finger to. I, I will say there's other things, but um, but this is real cutting satire. So yeah. he opens up with a Lenny Bruce quote. Right, which, which tells you that's great. I like that. Right? Is, I mean, he has something to say. By the way, did you notice there's no goon in this? I did not notice that. But, yeah, no, uh, it doesn't exist, right? It's, it's not really a goon comic. No, it's, it's not. It's Satan Sodomy Baby's comic, right? Yeah. Um, and basically, I mean, we saw this a little bit towards the end of the, the goon itself, where money interests are being paired with evil, you know, yeah, whether it's Yeah, clearly, he's very or, clearly an anti-corporatist kind of... Yeah. But, but the, I have to tell you, early on in the goon, I didn't know where he really was politically, you know? You, you didn't get a sense of that. It was yeah. kind of outside, which is, which is good. I like things to take place in their own universe sometimes, but... I don't know if that's, that's even possible anymore. Well, no, that's my point, I, I think. Um, but I, I, I'm, maybe I'm being a little too pat about it. I don't think he is, you know, like a typical, you know, social justice warrior, you know, insufferable no, person he, right but now. He's a, sen- there, he's a sensible person. Common sense. He's probably like where, where all, all three of us are. Right? That, exactly right. I think he's right there. Kind of a little more realistic and yeah. self-aware. But, you we're, know... We're, we're just the best. Well, yeah, I didn't want to say it. But no, but... but <laughs> Very, the best, but it's awesome, it's excellent. We have all the ideas. Definitely a lefty, but definitely aware of the problems of the left, you know, particularly when it comes to issues of censorship, issues of maybe, um, you know, kowtowing to certain right. not, specific not liberal interests like afraid religion. afraid of offending people, which is, I see why he does certain things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually think, like, I'll only speak for myself, but my politics are very close to his, I think. Which is probably some of the reasons for, you know, the appeal in the first place. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so. No, um, no, no. I'm but there's also it in. there's a lot more in here, right? There's definitely a kind of gun control agenda, mm-hmm. right? Um, I mean, also the religion shows up again, of course, um, and then you get the specific, you know, Trump and Murdoch and those guys things, um, and I don't know. This feels. Fresher, yeah. There's an anger and and, and angry. He's like yeah. he's just putting it out there, which I like. That it's raw. Yeah, I was thinking about. So I just got to the part where flipping through this, where Randy Macho Man Savage uh, smashes Trump's head, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, what? How is that different than the uh, what's her name, Kathy Griffin thing? It's not right. I, which I don't think is bad either. You could do no. that. Art is art, man. You can right? Do or you or the the Caesar in Central Park thing, Julius Caesar right. thing. Oh, of course, yeah. But which it's is a, a nothing. Who's that's going to control? Nothing. Right. I mean, that's really what the issue is. Who's going to control the media and what we see and how we perceive things? Yeah. Well, nobody should. Nobody should. 
It should all be available. Um, I don't know. All? Maybe. Well, I mean, I, the worst hateful stuff. There's always a line, right? Do you want Do you want a five year old looking at violent porn? No, I mean, you no. know what I mean. I mean Everyone see, has yeah, to make a about adults, like you know. No, but a responsible parent keeps his five year old from. But I mean, yeah, George's right, parent. Right. You and I are not absolutely right. But I, I still think I see a line, and I would control right. that kind of stuff with the kids. All I'm saying is, but it doesn't mean it shouldn't stuff. exist, right? But as a, a reasonable adult, you should have the right to decide like, what you want to look at and, and what you don't. Right. Yeah. There is some interesting. Referencing in this Saint Sodomy Baby Two, I like when um, when the the devil uh, kind of creates his uh, horseman of the apocalypse, mm-hmm. and you have um, who do we have? Do we have Jimmy Stewart? We have Roger, Randy Montmorency and Robbie the Robot. Robbie the Robot, and this is oh yeah, and um, uh, who's oh Jack Kirby, right? It, interesting because it, it it really tells you like like that is a a really perfect conglomeration of. Of pal's influences, I think, in a weird yeah. way, you know, they they all have a, a kind of piece of of what the goon is, right, of his what imagination his of what he is. does. Yeah, you see where he's coming from. Yeah, and this has man, this is one of the greatest lines ever. I can't find it right now, but basically, somebody says um, something about uh, Jesus is the humble carpenter who brings war on to us, or something like that. <laughs> like, like he puts these things in such like. Like, like poetic language. It's I do like that the art of Satan Sodomy Baby is very different than what you would find in The Goon. It, it's too. more comic in its right. way. It's, it's, right. it's, it's, she's telling you, she's tipping you off right away. He's Listen, always appropriate. Don't take this He's too seriously. He's not anything. Right. Yeah, right? No, th- I mean, this allows him to go crazy. It allows him to make Dick Cheney into the Marlon Brando character in Apocalypse Now and, you know, blow up the world, freedom. essentially. Yeah, that's just great. Yeah. And the end of this is, is very sad. Like right. you think of the end of like Satan's Sodomy Baby. I, I don't. Remember. It's probably, right, probably the character mugging, you know, or something. This is look how sad he looks at the end of this when he's blowing up the world it's to nothingness. There's that, some that, real pathos in this. And I don't want to like lead the discussion and everything, but that takes you to the bleakness of that isolation. Uh, right. This is, this is the end of Satan's Sodomy Baby. Oh yeah, it's Frankie it's, in between it's, two it's, big breasts, right? It's, it's the the boob thing and that kind of weird mashup of Powell himself drawing it as right, this, like right. lech. Yeah, a lech is you're you're being kind. He's more much much more than a lech in this. <laughs> but compared to the apocalypse here, man. So that's so interesting, that, right? Isolation, man. That was a really bleak. Uh, so the suicidal robot and the uh, and you know the finite. Nature of the world. So isolation comes out around the same time, I think, right? Is it? Okay, I don't um, know. I don't know. I'm trying to get the... Uh, no, I guess it's a little before. I'm trying to get the uh, timeline here. But yeah, I think it's, it's probably around 2006, six, seven, something like and that. And again, there's no goon, right? The, the no goon... Well, that's not a goon comic. I mean, it's just a total standalone, separate... Yeah, that seemed... It was put out by... I don't know, by Dark Horse as a kind of anthology thing. I can't remember exactly what it is. You know, it's interesting, because if you remember, Satan's Sodomy Baby came out around the time that he was starting to get a lot of critical acclaim for what he was doing. And ah. he wrote it almost to stand in... Is this like a pushback? Right, I guess, the contrast. Kind of, look, like, I, say, right, look. Right, Chinatown, and he's winning Eisner Awards, but look, I could still do this, yeah. right, and have some fun. Whereas you see his development as an artist, as a creator, right? By the end, he's able to give you Satan's Sodomy Baby too, a completely different kind of commentary. 
Yeah, why? Well, he's almost he's blended yeah. the two in a really sophisticated because he was way. uncomfortable with being the establishment that right. he was kind of railing against and and doing his own thing against. I think that's like that's why you have Peaches Valentine that just to to sabotage this like establishment stuff. You know? Yeah, I think that's a good impulse. I mean, I don't like Peaches Valentine as you know we started, the, but the that character allows oh, for fuck you. I can't do that. I think for for a breath of fresh air. I hate to say, but I think this is what Neil Young did throughout his whole career. Right. As he's starting to connect, I can't be pigeonholed like this. I'm going to put out something that you will not like. I'm going to make revile. a diva record. Right. <laughs> and over and over. And, 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 and it worked for him, you know? I mean, yeah. it's got to be on reproach. He, well, know. I mean, so if, if you want my take on it, I would say his work up until like 76 is. No, you could say 69 through 79 is. Is immaculate. 69 and then I start to lose interest. Right. But, I but even in the seventies, he was doing stuff that people would not get in, until years later. Yeah, you know. My point is that I, re- I respect the idea that he didn't. The impulse stagnant. to say no, I can't be what you want me to be. You can't project this onto me. So. I would rather he did a, a dopey doo wop record than do. <laughs> well, he you did. Know, that was everybody's rocking. No, I know. <laughs> That's why I said it. Then do you know an, another album like right. you Harvest know Moon Har- Harvest Moon or whatever or, Harvest Two? Yeah, no, I get it. Um, so, and, and, and it just so happens that I like like Pal. I like the way he's changing things up and moving with it. It's more in line with my taste. That's a real artist. I mean, that's somebody who's right. going to do follow the vision wherever it leads them. You know, yeah. it's a good analogy. I, like so I think right. if I remember correctly too, when he created Saint Sodomy Baby, Dark Horse wasn't real happy with that. You know, their opinion was like, "How are we going to sell this? Like, we're not going to make a lot of money well, off is this. Right? Legit, this well, like censored cover? Is that really it, or was that part <laughs> it's of all part of the joke? Whole, it seems right? to be all part of the yeah. the gag. The gag, right? Um, oh wow, Isolation's 2011. It's way later, but we'll get oh, back okay. to that in a minute. Okay. Um, yeah, no, th- I think this was all embedded hype. So he talks a lot about it in the uh, the Modern Masters thing because that kind of turns me off too. Like, I I just don't like all the gimmickry around it. You know, I don't know. Well, I, he, gimmick. That's the problem. Right? Not too much. Gimmick. Yeah. You want it to be honest in some way and not be so gimmicky. From the impression I got, right, you know, he's got a claim now. He's he's sellable. Uh, he's got his Eisner Awards. And he goes to Dark Horse with the script of seeing Sodomy Baby. And I don't think they gave him a real hard time, but they're basically like, we're going to have to put this with the porn. <laughs> like, and, like, and you know not for nothing this probably doesn't look great for the company right stuff. right they're not in the business of peddling porn. so I that's not what they do right? my impression is from that he creates the cover and okay. does this whole hype thing so that it can be somewhat legitimized right. and, he, and shields, can, shields his audience and everything so he okay. can kind of take control of it and comment on the satire maybe I'm going out of my way to you know Excuse, you know, what you're calling gimmicky, but no, okay, I understand it. If you put it in that context, where they say this has to be, I under think it's a more whole different yeah. framework. Okay. I think it's more practical. I don't really think of that. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't say that either one of these things is really like a goon product. I mean, the no. goon happens goon to be is, the first one. There, yeah, but it's a vehicle for the stuff, right, to stuff off, Satan huh? back up as the guy's ass or whatever. <laughs> yeah, for this lunch hour, right? And I like how he ups the ante in number two. The whole horse comes out this time. <laughs> Tom Brady's ass. It's, it's horrifying. Tom Brady. Poor Tom Brady. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, listen, I have no... Tom Brady got it. No, no empathy for Tom Brady. I want to go back to a point you were making before. You mentioned your characters, right? Yes. I think five... Good or, good or bad characters. Yeah, so yeah, we were like... Uh, just, I want to stay with good characters, but okay. underrated characters who find, you know, who are just kind of uh, present in the series. Of, uh, mention. Honorable yeah. mention. Um, number five. Um... Laszlo. 
which oh, is yeah. Zombie Priest number two for a long time. That's and when, right. And he's he dies. He dies. The Black big war was solid. I forgot right. about him. And he's one of the first big casualties of the big war that like show you that yeah. both sides are losing out, right? Yeah. Um, number four, Gravedigger. Yeah. Um, what he was did that a lot. With his two creepy sons. The guy. Graves. Uh, Graves. Graves. Right. Yeah, his name was Graves. Uh, yeah. Interesting character. That was a powerful character. And he then, conflicted, like right. making choices in a bad situation, you know? He just flees, right? We he never, just flees, right? He just Yeah, flees. I bet we find him again. And, but he kind of plays the opposite of Buzzard. Yeah. Right? They're both kind of walking a similar path, but he chooses. And really, I'll tell you what, Laszlo is the opposite of Willie Nagel. He really is. Right. He's, He's a zombie who's got all kind. He could talk and he could do all kinds of things, and he chose what he chose. And at yeah. time, almost advises zombie priest like, "Is that wise? Like he's right. he's trying to be a voice of reason, but priest is not listening." Yeah, that's good. Uh, what I got there, number three, spider. So spider makes my oh, uh, number I, number two for least for least. He's kind yeah, of, spider. I, I he's like an easy go to. All right, so I'll skip over that. that. Well, no, um, you know what's interesting though. Like, looking at uh, Goon Noir and some of the other kind of, like, um, you know, fan-based Goon material that came out, everybody loves Spider, right? Spider seems to be one really? of the most portrayed characters by non-PAL artists. Stuff. That's interesting. Let's begin with the fact that he put a giant spider well, in it, his world, right? With, when you with, don't a, with, a with a hat on, and, and smoking uh, a cigar all the time, Playing right? cards as a yeah. gambling right. uh, addict. He doesn't and act like a spider in any way, shape, or form. He's kind of an interesting character because he's kind of a dick, and, you know, like, he's a, this interesting kind of, like, narrative He's really like a punching bag. bag. Yeah, that's right. it. I mean, he's so, but I just, like, the visual of it, I just don't dig. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a weird okay. thing. But I understand it. I, I My point is that I think you're in good company. I think it's people interesting, love yeah. People they connect with that. Me and Joe, for some reason, I don't know. Whenever I see Spider, I'm just like, maybe it's a step too far in terms of like the reality, you know, that it's just a little too. You know, there's always that gag, like you see it in Goodfellas, like this the guy hanging out in the bar whose name Spider is his nickname. I think Powell just took it a little further. Sopranos too, right? Right. We're just gonna we're just gonna make a Spider, right? You're not gonna be named Spider. You are a Spider. That's pretty good, maybe. Number two, Lady Vampire. Oh, from that that one episode. Oh yeah, she was pretty. With the the shadow envelops her body, and she's like the real right thing. Unfortunately, she exits too early, so we're never really able to explore. That's a cool character. She when she is in the grave, right, and Goon stakes her. Yes, that's a great. She has some goth pathos. And number one, it's probably so underrated, and yet she carried the series. Kizzy. Kizzy is so, powerful, yeah. Right? I thought Absolutely. of Kizzy. Kizzy would probably she, be my next one. She hovered above everything. Everything. And anchors the whole, right? She really is what tethers Goon to his world. Uh, his connections, everything. Yeah. And yet, you know, just little snippets of her life and who She's she is. She's like basically the moral center for Goon. I mean, it's like, yeah. if if he would have gone to the dark side, he would just be, without her, he would not be the Goon. Right. He would have been so. just a, a gangster. Yeah. The he, only morality in his world. It's, it's what anchors him... Right to right, it gives him his whole system and his ethos. Right, it, it always allows us to humanize him, even as and clearly, yeah. I mean, she popped up throughout the whole series. Oh yeah, like, yeah, you know, as a ghost or as a poster, and even is what anchors him back to being part of carnivals and that carny mm-hmm. life. Right? That's yeah. where his that's where his home is. That's where his soul yeah. is. That's what he wants to well, do. Well, that, that's why I think the end is like so that. effective. Okay. Right, you know, like going back and not being the main guy, being a secondary right, player in the larger in the carnival, carnival right. going back to his roots and his aunt's That's uh, right, identity. what you do after all the big excitement and stuff. Like you got to yeah. just uh, bring it all it down. Right. Right? Bring yeah. it all back home. Are you still doing your worst characters? We do, we do. I have three more. So <laughs> Three more, and I'll attack one on there too. Peaches, Valentine, Spider, Joey the Ball number three. Oh, oh come on. He's boo, interesting. Boo. I don't know. I like him. Uh, I like the He's idea. got panache. <laughs> <laughs> number four, Isabella. 
I just Isabella is uh, just she such a nothing. could have been drawn a little better. She, yeah. she had she had no depth, and she's yeah. kind of flat, right? I mean, in terms of depth of character, right? She's one of those that doesn't deliver. For me, she represents kind of a a bad, you know, kind of typical female it's, archetype. You know what it's a, yeah, it's a trope that's not yeah. really fleshed out. Myrna's better, but not great. Not much. I, here's my one thing: Powell could not do women well. And I see right. I, until, Until Roxy. the end. Right. I think there's a lot of very interesting women towards the end. And if Roxy had small breasts, I don't think he would have uh, cared. He would have done <laughs> her yeah, that, that might be a little rough, but... No. I don't know about that. Look, man, I'm not saying misogyny, but... there's no, the, the women are very, very flat, one-dimensional. In general. In they general. never develop in the series, right? Even think of the, uh, the old lady foil, running the orphanage. At, the, at best, they're foils or they're betrayers. They're exactly. Except, right. You know, they're set up to betray a male character. Like, I really had a problem with they're that. They're props in the system. They're not really characters. They and don't Roxy really Dwight, well, excellent. She's got a great body, She's man. Great. No, no, no. The, the character is far, far more interesting than just I'll tell thing. you what. If she didn't look that good, she would not be that interesting. Uh, I See, I don't agree with that. I, I, what about... She wouldn't have the power... So but that's her power. I know, her sex is her but power. But she taps into it in an interesting way. But what about way. brains? Or you could have, no, no, no. What she if had she had a bowling ball? But the heartbeats are the same way. They're all body, but we don't think the <laughs> right. heartbeats are interesting. No, no, no. But Roxy's interesting. No, Roxy, Roxy is more than that. Right? She's, she, she had, remember that four panels where she's like, she right. had to pass out witting like different, right. uh, what is it? Different um, talent. Can't go to the city anymore. Can't go to that. Right. Exactly. Like, she's I'm only able to do what she does. Charging children five cents for a peek and right, this kind of thing. By the way, um, Pal apparently has done some um, series on roller derby. Uh, apparently, there's a um, oh, that's his wheelhouse. A Nashville roller derby squat, right. and he did a lot of like um, visuals for posters. And I couldn't find it, but contributed to uh, some anthology of like cartoonists doing roller derby like mm. stories. And Is they look derby- really cool and interesting. I, I want to get my hands on it, but it, but I think my only point is that that speaks to kind of like Roxy. I think when he can pull from reality and see a real person there, he's more successful perhaps than when he has to come up with one from right, scratch. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's true. Is roller derby distinctly American? I think so. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's part of our lore. And that feels like California, man. Uh, I, I think it's more of like Midwest, Midwest, Midwest Northeast too. kind of thing. I don't know. I just feel like I, my sister lives in that. Massachusetts, and she actually does some roller derby. Does she really? Yeah. Oh, the Baton Bomb. Really? That's her derby name. But really? the, are you kidding? No, not my sister Liz. I wow. don't know. Shout either. out to Liz. <laughs> <laughs> the Batomic Bomb. I haven't seen. That's crazy. I love before. that. <laughs> the um, but I think it's another example. What we've been talking about the whole series of. Pal taking a, a little kind of subculture Americana right, thing right. And, and rolling with it. I could see a whole you, you know that goon well. yeah. that tangles right. him up with this. Is you know it's like the the, the drag car racing, right? The rockabilly like the, drag cars, exactly. roller derby. It's all the same universe. Well, it really no, is. It's not the same. I mean, I think they're connected. They're con- yeah. It's it's a, but like, they're distinct enough it's an that alternative right. alternative to fringe the society. boring suburban right. stuff. Yeah. They're distinct enough, though, that they, there's something to say about it, that there's different iconography, different personalities behind it. You know, but you're right. It's all... I feel like some it cross attracts over. a similar sure. cross-section of people and yeah, no doubt. type. Um, my last uh, successful character is Psychic Seal. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. They're just dumb. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to throw Hobo King in there. Uh, as, King, uh, as a bad character. As a bad character. I never cared for Hobo King. <laughs> Each time he appeared, I was like, oh, not Hobo King. It was like... Underwhelming. Yeah, that's the other thing too. The hobo culture too is a whole other thing. 
riding the oh, rails. Yeah. I like the hobo culture, but you know, like the, the Bob Dylan Phoenix. hobo king, it just didn't. Yeah, like, no, no, no yeah, payoff for no, it. No, you're right. You're right. I'll take that. Underwhelming. Yeah. It was like it was too jokey. I don't yeah, think right. It went anywhere. Again, it's gimmick. Uh, it's shtick, and yeah. you know, I don't like that. All right. Well, we are very much all over the place, but that's fine. So, let's go back to isolation, right? I'm gonna pick up okay, a point yeah. that that Paul was making before. So I, I found my notes on it. Isolation is from Dark Horse Presents number 5, 2011. And it is fantastic. So that's a whole Dark Horse publisher like anthology? Yeah, I of, think so. Uh, They're going to get their, their big artists together. And from what I can tell, it's a bunch of like different sci-fi kind of contributions. But not at all meant to be connected to the goon. But that is so heavily kind of thoughtful and political, mm-hmm. right? Um, very much... Twilight Zone-y, Wait, is, is Isolation the robot? The Suicide yeah, Robot. Oh, it's fantastic. Robot. I know yeah, you I, love that, I, right? I really, it was fantastic. Right? And, anyway, go, keep going with your points. It's so, a good point to make. So, I, if I was going to say anything negative, it might be a little too kind of on the nose in terms of... But that's what Twilight Zone is, man. Exactly. He really I, can't gonna, miss the uh, moral. I'm going to totally forgive it because I think he's going back to that 60s aesthetic and capturing it perfectly. He also doesn't have a whole book to tell a story. He's got right. a few pages. No, no. Really yeah, succinct. I, 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 right. You have to present recognizable stuff, very broad strokes. And very quickly. Quickly. Yeah. So it has um, a bunch of interesting like references to It's a little bit Robbie the Robot. It's a little bit... Um, the for, Well, that's from Forbidden, Forbidden Planet. Planet right? yeah. it, it's all a little bit of uh, the Lost in Space robot, mm-hmm. you know? But the robot itself looks so cool. Like, it's something that Alloy would make, you know, in terms right. of a kind a of... a 50s sci-fi robot, not, right. a, not Wait, a Blade Runner. Yeah. You know, Android. Mm. Which um, I think gets us, you know, back to that kind of... The right feel for it, this it thing. It frames it right, yeah. It right. puts you where you, This is where we are. And, and more allows for, I think, maybe the easy allegorical reading of it, you know. But when you go through the experience with the robot and you can see the, the turmoil and... It, there's such kind of humanity in it. It's it's amazing, right? It reads to me more like I would think Bradbury than it is. Looks like a think, Bradbury. Like, yeah. Well, Asimov is all about robots. He had yeah, but Asimov and stuff. See, Asimov for me was a li- is a little too cold. This, this yeah, is his heart. You know right. what I mean? Bradbury, I think will he does. He's, he's more he's heart. very sentimental. But I'm t- I was trying to think. Are there like that? Seems like something that like a robot that programs itself out of existence or something. I must have read this in science fiction stories somewhere. Um, you know, I don't know. That, I like mean, a computer that shuts itself down. That's got to be something that's happened in other it's stuff. It's got Yeah, it's got I mean, that I, that aspect actually sounds more like Clark than anything. Yeah, but I, I feel like I've read this. Yeah, it, I mean, it's probably it's probably a take on something that's been... It might be like the, there is a the supercomputer in the Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Arthur C. Clarke. I read that's Clark, great. Right, and the computer's and, and in the end it goes dormant. It's, right, it's right, yeah. Just and that's it, it, it's kind of commits right. suicide at the right. end. If and I remember, Manuel is that the guy who's like directly he keeps searching for it. He wants to like, keep hearing. I think even Kurt Vonnegut did something with that too. I, mm-hmm. I feel like there was some, something like that I it read be. before. You know, that's a, isolation is like a Kurt Vonnegut story. It really yeah. is something like he would. Well, there's so much. So the other thing that it reminded me of has anybody seen Fargo season three yet? No. Alright, I don't want to say too much about it, but there's a kind of strange sci-fi cutaway that describes this robot that has gone through all of time collecting data and what happens to it. And it has kind of the same kind of feel of this story. Not that I'm saying it's ripping it off or anything, but I think it's coming from the same kind of sci-fi pool of information. That is fabulous. You need to check that out. What are the three gifts the robot gets? It's it's a, a Bible, 
pornography and a gun and a gun right because right. he's a, a frontiersman right he's an right. explorer so every explorer should have to carry the gun right which you yeah which are I, I guess we're supposed to take the kind of vices of humanity. of humanity and even the porn is kind of a joke you know that the they give oh, what's the, a robot going to do with porn right mm-hmm. but he uses it he uses it right <laughs> but the um the thing that was most potent for me in that story was it's it's really a critique of manifest destiny i think right so you know, the traditional idea, I mean, I've talked about this, you know, when it comes to kind of the Western archetype stuff, but when it comes to kind of going off and exploring and taking what is yours, well, if that's the case, man's not doing it anymore. It can't. It doesn't have the, the biological ability to do it. So we send a, a kind of a proxy out, you know, mm-hmm. this robot that can withstand, you know, having no oxygen, having no gravity, whatever it's going to be. But the robot is better than humanity. When it has the opportunity to take over the land and colonize essentially right. the what I'm imagining is supposed to be kind of an inferior race or inferior in the sense of technologies and you know war and combat and things like that it doesn't it, it assimilates mm-hmm. so it, it, right so am I am I wrong here it's no house? you're right on the right yeah, track yeah. in some ways isolation is like a, a strange twisted version of Chekhov's The Bet very interesting right. where man yes. lives in isolation for 20 years and chooses not to interact with humanity anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Runs yeah. away. Yeah. But he enlightens himself, whereas the robot, well, does a lot of other things, right? Yeah. No, that, that's that's interesting comparison, too. But, I mean, I, I think we're supposed to see, it's kind of like the end of Satan's Sodomy Baby too. You know, humanity will doom itself. Yeah. It, it's, if we're going to survive, it's going to take something that's better than humans, right? In the case of SSB2, it's, you know, I guess the devil, you know, the, the sodomy baby itself, who seems to be better than the humans around it. In this case, it's going to be Maybe this might be a good time to talk about Chimichanga. Well, because this stands in sharp this contrast. Also, but this this puts our, his faith back in humanity. Right. A story like this. So, it's a sweet story. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, it, I it like is, this a lot, boy. That was interesting. Chimichanga's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the art alone, it is... It is gorgeous. But, right, so so what is it about Chimichanga at center? It's that, I mean, it's kind of childish, you know, a right. theme, but it's that the interior self is more important than the exterior self, right? Everybody views Chimichanga, and the who, the girl's Lulu? Lulu, I think, right? I think so. Um, everyone views them as kind of freaks or something you can't kind of communicate with or connect to, but they're actually good souls and they're mm-hmm. the they're the ones that they're, they're doing things. Yeah. Yeah, they're the ones that hold, you know, great um promise and humanity. Uh but yeah, I, I think that's very similar to what's happening in isolation. What year oh that's a little before this, right? This is like two thousand nine, ten, this is coming out. So it, it's funny, isolation probably comes out of, you know, a character like this. In a strange and way. And Chimichanga is ongoing? Is that like uh, still going on? So Chimichanga... 2011, by the way. 2011. Yeah. The second... Well, that's when this trade came out. But I think it was serialized a couple Prior years before. To that. Okay. So the next one, which is called The Sorrow of the World's Worst Face, comes out like literally next month. Really? Okay. Yeah, but uh, I haven't seen any of it yet. I haven't gotten the, the uh, individual... Issues or anything. I'm just waiting for the okay, trade so to come trade out. To come out yeah. But I, I think it's going to be the same characters and kind of lighthearted like this. I mean, I, I get the impression that this was made specifically for children. Right. So he wrote in the forward that he is the television approached him and said create a, a possible TV series for children, and that's what that's what he this is what he pitched them and they didn't like it. 
yeah. just handed it back to him. But his one son fell in love with it and said, "Keep going with it. Oh, I'll yeah, see yeah, more." Yeah. Right. So, and by the way, one of the things in, in this particular right uh, trade paperback, the, at the very end, he includes this little comic about his son having the flu. Yeah, yeah. I love this. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's wonderful, and this kind of restores your faith in Powell and his faith in humanity. Right. Uh, recognizing you know that. he's a good guy. Right. right. Oh yeah, definitely. But yeah. I mean, in these in these things, you know, there's definitely this kind of like. Like we're going on, I think in him it's in terms of in terms of how he fits into the world and you know and and what he should be doing as an artist. Yeah, I think so. The it's it's Lula, by the way. Lula, Lula. Lula. And um, I love that in it he also he shows you the evolutionary artwork of Lula and how she was a thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how when he made her because he associated the bearded woman with being fat, he made her plump. It rounded her out. It made her more robust. Yeah. And yeah. so when you look at the comparison, you're like, right. oh, yeah, of course. Right. But you, it shows you his process in creating characters and how he works them out over time. It's wonderful. Yeah. But I think, you know, so this is for kids and it's lighter, of course, but it really has all of, like, the great themes we've seen in The Goon throughout, sure. right? Circuses and kind of what it means to be a freak. And you have, in this a kind of a band of misfits coming together mm-hmm. to solve the problem, you know, spearheaded right. by chimichanga and... Battling big corporations who are... Big corporations are the enemy that you have to fight against. So, I mean, even though it's maybe not as adult, I, th- I think it's incredibly effective. And it, it reads really, really well, yeah. yeah. I like yeah. it. Art is extraordinary, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, Jimmy Chong himself is a, is a, you know, so interesting to look well at. Drawn, yeah. Yeah, Beautiful. Yeah. So, all right. Where to now? <laughs> Where to now, St. Peter? George? There's uh, a lot more. Uh, well, uh, well, you want to you go to the, the exact opposite? Uh, <laughs> why not? <laughs> well, Big Man Plans is incredibly disturbing. Crazy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's doing any more of those, right? That seems to be pretty much standalone, I think. Tim Weish? Is that like his I guess, partner, I guess, so for this? Tim, so, all right. The, I, I did a little bit of research on that, and I, I don't know if it's in the book itself or I read a, an interview, but he talks about Tim Weish was, some kind, was, was a, a comic executive or something, maybe worked for Dark Horse. Dark Horse put that out, right? Um... Image, Image Comics. Oh, it's Image. Yeah, whoever it was. And apparently Powell, like, lived with him a while. He had, like, a rough time. And he's talked about him living in his, like, like basement or spare room or something. And, and going through this... I think I'm getting this right. And they would say... Uh, they would go off drinking and talk about this character. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and kind of fantasizing about, you know... Um, like, like, real rough business in terms of the human experience and... And I got the impression talking about like human will, and then they started to script this thing and kind of. I mean, there's nothing comedic about this book. It is just. There's nothing what? Comedic. No, right? I mean, it is. I, if we thought like, you know, Chinatown, you know, was not funny. Right. This, this is, is dark and twisted. This is, this is so like, you know, like a. Um, if Quentin Tarantino was in high control over Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> right, and was and placing them in like a Pulp Fiction or a Natural Born Killers or something along those yeah. lines. It really, I mean, this is really neat. And each time you think you've seen the worst of what it is, you turn the page and there's something more horrific on the next yeah. page. Yeah, I mean, they're lighting people on fire and mutilating. Right. I don't, I don't want to get too spoilery about these things, right. but, um, but so I mean, I'm looking at the juxtaposition of Big Man playing Jimmy Chandler <laughs> by sitting right at the table here. next to each other. It's incredible that it comes from the same mind, right. but right. I mean, don't we see that? Well, humanity is complex. There's a lot going on, and, and isn't that like why Powell is so successful? Right, mm-hmm. he understands that. Um, one thing that I think is amazing in Big Man Plans, though, is 
the mystery structure of the narrative, right? I mean, for, I, I guess it came out as individual copies. I only got the, uh, the trade. But you don't really know, like, what this revenge is all about, you know, right. until I think you get to the third issue. And it unfolds very naturally. And, and Or maybe it's even the last one where, you know, you get his past kind of laid out. But, and how he kind of marks time by what the character looks like, you know, whether his hair is shaved, whether he's disheveled or not, whether he's... The scar on his face is the president. Right. You know, there, there's, it seems like, like the whole thing was highly, highly structured and well planned out. And, I mean, in terms of storytelling, it's impeccable. It's not one of the my favorite things by Pal, just because I think it's right. too disturbing. I don't want to pick it up and read it a second time. I just want to. I think I'm good with it. Right, I really put am. it away on the shelf and be like, "Yeah, we're done with that." Unlike Chimichanga or Hill, um, Hillbilly, which I, I'm like dying for the next one of, Big Man Plans is is right. tough, really tough. But it shows you his range as both. He may not have more in him. Like maybe may, may past that too. Right. I know if it was part of a dark time. Well, it's recent. I mean, you know, 2015. But yeah, I, I get the impression that it's something that, you know, it was kind of like a, a demon he needed to exercise. Right, just kind of you know, working through things. Yeah. In, uh, From the background. Rather than killing people. Yeah. There's also <laughs> the, the short at the back. Do you read the, the short? Um, is It's called uh, Blood Red Rose Colored Glasses. And it's, um, it's just this quick thing on censorship that is, you know, pretty brutal in its own right. But I thought it was it was interesting because where Big Man Plan seems to be just about, you know, kind of visceral human experience, this is like, how do I apply a message to this? Mm. I don't know that it works all that well, you know. Uh, I think that character works oh, yeah, okay. just to kind of, you know, just to kind of like be shocking and neolistic. But when you attach a message to it, I think it, it flattened out a little. Mm. It was for a reason. It was, it was for some kind of... Um, ACLU funding or something like that. You guys I, say I it can't remember on, on what it was exactly. The title page of it. But um, but yeah, it, it's um, it's worth looking at. was done for the comic book legal defense. Oh, that's it. Liberty okay, Annual. so yeah, all right. So there's an agenda. Part right, of again, it, showing yeah. you. Listen, right, yeah. if I want to say this, I'm going to say it. I have the right as an American. I have the right as an artist to say this, to publish this. Yeah. No one should tell me that I shouldn't be able to publish this. Yeah. So since I mentioned it, um, Hillbilly is. Unbelievable! I think Hillbilly is as good as the Goon at its best, consistently. Well, it's, it's like the next evolution of the Goon. It seems so. So you're getting that impression. I mean, because we see Buzzard, we know that their worlds are connected in some way. Although I think the Buzzard story, that is really, if you think about it, only loosely connected to the Goon's world, is you know, you know we talked about it how how Buzzard kind of travels through space and time, and we see like other dimensions in a way. But I, there's still a kind of connectivity. Like, I still feel like goon characters could show up in the hillbilly world. Like, maybe see Willie Nagel or, you know, come across, you know, he comes across the Theater Bazaar people or something like that. That It seems like there's space for that. But, I mean, wouldn't you say hillbilly seems to be um, more ancient, right? It doesn't have any of those modern sensibilities no, that the goon no. has. Right. It's, it's looking back further. Right. And I, the, the world seems more brutal in a way. It is clearly less connected to our world. It's more um, fantasy. It's more fantasy-based. Right. Yeah, I would say so. You know, you said that about Buzzard, and now it has me thinking of that character. Like, you know, Buzzard tells his backstory of how he becomes Buzzard. But 
and later in life, obviously, you know, later in his character's evolution, can travel between realms. We right. don't know that the goon's world was his world. Hmm. He could have been passing oh, through that. Yeah, we could have been passing through, the, you know, what is Lonely Street as well. Yeah. That might not be anchored to the same place. Well, just because, you know, Powell never definitively says, oh, these are the same, right? One and the same. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the world of the goon, you get the sense that Buzzard is coming to an understanding. Like, that seems to be his home base for me. But by the time we're in Hill, um, Hillbilly, Buzzard seems to be this kind of other thing. Like, he, Powell has him evolving in a way. It, it's the second episode, specifically. Um, but, you know, we started to see him as the kind of, like, riding the dead horse, the kind of pale mm -hmm. image of death. Remember all the, the kind of Johnny Cash yes. illusion stuff? It seems that he is more definitively that thing. So when Hillbilly walks, to, you know, to find the, uh, the tree, right? And is that the one? Yeah, right? He's going yeah. to... He but needs to break the curse right. from the tree. And we almost like see the evolution of the little wispy creature, right? Yes. As, as a, right. As yeah. a little character. The roots in the head. Buzzard travels with him and is only invited, right? Walks behind him as if he is like the Grim Reaper, you know? And he's kind of posed as a Grim Reaper, just waiting to harvest the soul. But he is death, right? I mean, that, that's who Buzzard is. It seems that he's death, but he doesn't even really understand the extent of it, in a way, you know? And that's what, you know, I think the boy in Buzzard calls him. He says, oh, I saw death, and you're death. And he, I, at that point, Buzzard's like, I guess so, I don't know. Right. Here he seems to be a little more kind of comfortable with it. He understands that he is somebody that is around when death happens, and it seems his job is specifically to take these souls. He just doesn't have... I think the agency we think of when we think of what death is, like mm -hmm. the Grim Reaper knocking at your door, he seems to be more passive. You know, it, it's an interesting take on the well, mythology. Buzzard never stops experiencing pain. He still suffers. He's never lost his humanity. Yeah. The, Which is why I think death remains something very, you know, I don't want to say sacred. It's kind of the wrong terminology, but he's respectful of death. Yeah. Because he understands that, you know, it, how difficult it is. It's, so the hillbilly, from what I remember, doesn't have any mention of the feeding on the dead, right? Not that, I mean, I don't know if that's, that's lasted maybe, maybe or not. Maybe he's uh, transcended that somehow. You that's know, what I think it is. is broken. Well, if you think about it in terms of mythology, right, maybe that period that we see where he's feeding on the dead yeah. is his coming to an understanding of right. it, you know? Filling up himself metaphorically and perhaps with, literally, with given this, with the dead, with the knowledge, you know, with their pain and experiences, so that he can have a metaphysical understanding of it. That's the kind of loose impression I'm getting, because it's handled almost like matter-of-factly in Hillbilly. I'm, I, Hillbilly is so fucking good. <laughs> I just kind of scanned it. I didn't really... Uh... Yeah, Paul didn't read it. I'm telling you, you, you should, you should right, check this thing. I know you, you sworn off comic books forever. I didn't forever, swear but... off. I just said I probably won't read anymore. <laughs> Um, but what you're saying about the death, he'll, uh, with uh, Buzzard being death, it, it just reminded me of a short story, a fantasy short story from a couple of years ago. It was called Entertaining Angels Unaware. Who's that? Uh, I don't remember don't who know. the author is, but there was this guy every night who would go to sleep and dream of lopping off people's heads. Mm -hmm. And he was death. Like he was, oh, oh, Every oh, night oh, he oh. was like killing thousands and thousands of people, and he would tell this guy he worked with the next day about it. Like, enter, you know, he was the That's angel of death. So kind of and completely unaware that he was the angel of had death. Had no idea. No, he, he just some dude. Every night when I dream, and this other guy wanted to do that. He, How do I dream about doing this? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a cool story. Huh. So I think there's a lot more going on in Hillbilly than just that. Even um, you see the big cleaver, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it has. It's almost like Powell is more interested in the kind of mythology in Hillbilly than he is in the Goon. And I know probably the word 
that's used more than anything is mythology we've been using constantly. But the, so the cleaver is like Satan's cleaver stolen by a witch. And, and you get all of this kind of intensive storytelling about the nature of stories in this. And here's my big thing. Hillbilly, I really think, is an, a political allegory about the nature of narrative in today's world, right? The character seems to be this kind of, like, holder of truth. And he goes from, like, place to place and experience to experience, and people somewhat know about him and know about his, his past, and, but they're becoming more elaborate. And he says some things are true and some things are not, and nobody exactly has it right, but he knows truth. And I mean, I, I'm like not to get too fine a point, but there is a kind of like Donald Trump, you know, like combating the, the nature of lies. Not that Donald Trump is doing that. He's the opposite. He is the most awful person that's ever existed. Um, but, but I almost see Hillbilly as a kind of like pal figure mm -hmm. that is trying to restore or like kind of hold the grounds of what truth is in this world. I don't want to say too much more about it in terms of the story itself. I don't want to get too spoilery, but but think about when you read it, think about that and, and what's happening. I'm telling you, there's like embedded story and embedded story in this. The structures of these narratives are so intricate and interesting. And I, it just speaks more to the point we brought up in the beginning that that the mature pal gets more and more political. But this isn't that obvious. Like, like this is leagues and leagues ahead of Sodomy Baby right, 2. The Mature Pallet is so much more sophisticated as a storyteller, as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So, In terms of the art, I mean, you get all of the great goon visuals, like the tree as umphalic and all right, that. Right. Like, the, the, my favorite one is the, is the buzzard one with the tree. And how he battles the tree and the tree's roots, you yeah, know, I mean, there's all these hold roots so much all evil. Over roots thing. are everywhere in this. But I think, that, you know, they're taking on almost a more sophisticated visual and message in Hillbilly. Hillbilly's amazing. All right. I'm with you. Love it. So, all right. Man. We are going on. I, I wanted to... <laughs> let's go back like to... three the, hours now. <laughs> no, no, it's only an hour or something. But going back to just... Uh, some other things, some some miscellaneous things. Um, anybody take a look at Monster Bo Monster Boy from 1995, not, which, from what I can tell, and a lot of this is just kind of pasted together, kind of bullshit um, research from the the web or whatever. But Monster Boy seems to be the kind of goon prototype. <laughs> it's not the goon, but it's this kind of like big aggressive, you know, testosterone monster. It's almost more like ogre like. And, you know, some accounts have it as the name is Mog. Apparently you can buy these things, but they're like, you know, on eBay or something, but they're expensive. But you can see, like, some of the imagery. It's it's animalistic, but... Well, that's suggestive of Goon. Yeah, yeah, I think... Even the, the name, Mog. Right? Yeah. Goon. Right? I think the, um, the character seems to be not that interesting in its own right because all it is is a physicality yeah. you know you need the context so he's got some human and he's got humanity and some systems and uh yeah but it's cool to look at the kind of dna i think of where these things come from just like i, I always love when powell includes the sketches in the back of the book oh, it was great that really shows the visual sources and like and, and just how things could be fleshed out just from almost automatic writing it's just like yeah right, right. I, I right. think i think an artist is just like not even think about it, just putting yeah. it out there. And then 
then gives it its its context and reality. Yeah. Pal's always shown that. He's shown yeah, like I like that. The three different like like in the Chimichanga, you know, or like, you know, right. we talked about last time the, the misery's uh what is it? The words of misery kind of logo evolving. Right. But how interesting that he's he's always willing to pull back the curtain and let you yeah. see what's yeah. happening behind the he scenes. He may not even know what Lord's Misery is yet, but he's it's like putting it out there, you know? Yeah. Um, another thing that we kind of skipped over was in 2005, he put out a 25 cent issue of the goon called Halloween Hooligans. I did read that did one. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. it was, it was typical I read goon, jokey, right. uh, Halloween, uh, they, they, they roll Frankie the bastards. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's the, yeah, the unholy bastards right. and you know, they're, they're trick or treating. It's right. kind of, well, they're not trick or treating. They're letting other kids trick or treat and they're, they're, and they're uh, stealing their candy, off. which yeah. is exactly what you would expect of them. Right. Yeah. Um, there's a particularly uh, brutal scene of them uh, beating Mrs. Ms. McGregor yeah, it is with baseball bats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But she never dies. They poisoned well, her. They've electrocuted so her. It's not that brutal, apparently, because right. she could take it. Yeah, I thought it was funny. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, that's something out there that we didn't really talk about. I don't think there's anything like that important about it. But, you know, what happens in the end? They all decide to trick-or-treat together, I think. They bump into... The Goon and Frankie, I don't even remember it all that well. Uh, another thing in 2005 was a non-Goon pal thing was uh, the Wallace Expedition, which I couldn't find, and I, I wanted to, I couldn't even find, like, how to buy it. I'm not very good at internet stuff, apparently. But it looked really, really cool. Um, I, I could see, I found some website that just had the first four pages of it, and that's okay. the, hmm. the best I could do. But apparently it's, um, it was in Dark Horse Book of the Dead, Right, another anthology series, and it's um, a kind of Arctic expedition, and they find a tree that is growing in the middle of the ice. Oh. Trees again, man. Trees, right. right. And apparently, um, the tree has some kind of magical properties, and the people start to die. Mm. I don't know how it ends. It looks really cool. I'm gonna keep trying to that get really it. Interesting. Yeah, but uh, the artwork is very kind of wispy and dreamlike. Uh, the couple pages that I saw anyway. And it looks really great. Like, not like iso- isolation has like very like definitive thick lines and, and right. clear. This is, this is very like, like pencil-y, I think. Um, really cool. Just thought I'd mention it. Um, also in 2005, Starts the Billy, the kid stuff, which we talked about a little bit when we, the, the one goon, Edition of Billy the Kid that well, has really the, introduce like, him through the goon. Yeah, yeah the um, what happens in that that uh, the ossified oh, that's baby, the ossified baby, baby. Uh, the, yeah, of Nuremberg, right? But that's all like kind of after the case and, and right. that old story. Billy Kid's ancient, back. Yeah. actually, in that story. So the three Billy the Kid series, I think I, I talked very explicitly about the first one. Um, they're they're all kind of interesting. It's very much like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I like those kind of anthology. Uh, yeah, these stories, have a twist know? though. So yeah. in the first one, wait, what's the first one? Doctor Frankenstein, but it has a kind of um, Doctor Moreau appeal to it, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. The second one is um, they're looking for Jack the Ripper, but it has aspects of Sherlock Holmes and aspects of. Of um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's all good stuff. I like that feel. It's interesting. And the final one is they go to Loch Ness to find the monster. And there's aspects of, I guess this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but uh, Dracula and Dracula kind of things. So So he's harkening back to like the uh, 1800s and romantic kind of... Which would be appropriate for the time of Billy the Kid. 
Yeah. Right. So you get this kind of American versus like Brit. It's almost like you know. Powell seems so very kind of Americana to me. And it's interesting to get this other point of view. It, and, and I really, I think I like the stories way more than I like the artwork. And that's the problem. Well, I mean... When it was introduced in The Goon, I had a problem. The art was so cluttered and messy. And, and a lot it, of it's the where characters... evolved from, though. If you remember that very yeah. first Goon episode, uh, Rough Stuff and Zero, it's, it's that same style. We, we, we have been looking at the polished stuff for so long, we forgot I, that yeah, that's yeah. where he came from. But he's not doing the artwork in Billy the Kid. It's a Kyle uh, Hotz, Hotz, however you pronounce it. But you're right. I, it looks a lot more like that kind of more traditional cartoony Before he thing. learned how to, to refine his work. Yeah, but it's so busy. And a lot of the characters look the same. Like, there's a lot yeah, of, like... I, it's a lot of work. I know. Yeah, early Joe was <laughs> all, right? But it's an incredible, like like the evolution from those first episodes. Yeah, yeah. you right. see it. I mean, Powell makes that point in the introduction of that, but it can't be overstated, like, how amazing. You almost, you almost don't even wreck, like, Zombie Priest became so different looking. Yeah. So, I... Oh, yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, man, at the end, when he's haggard, and, right. you know, it's almost like that, that painting but style. He's also, he's less, but less is more. He yeah. doesn't have to overdraw. He, you know, he's just learned how to master the amount of line he needs. Yeah. They're okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to ever return to them, but it, it's interesting. I, I will say, particularly in the last one, the uh, the Orm of Loch Ness, it's called, there is this kind of um, interesting frame story mechanism at the end. Well, I guess it's not a full frame. But at the end, they talk about, like, you go into the future and you get um, uh, academics talking about the an artifact from that expedition. And they're wrong. Right, uh, they find an arm and they say, "Oh, this is from the, the monster the itself." But the arm is not; it's yeah. actually from somebody else. And so it's it's more of that interesting commentary so about the cool nature. Too, of you men, see that, yeah, that, I like that, which I think is interesting. I, I just recently read and watched *Handmaid's Tale*. the The novel has something like that at the end. That's very interesting, where you go fast, fast forward like two hundred years into the future, and you hear them talking about the incident in academic terms, and they have some things right and some things wrong, and because it is guesswork. I mean, it's the nature of, of yeah, right, looking back into the past. What do but, we it, but it's a very sophisticated literary theme. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm always saying it just to, you know, put another feather in Pal's cap in terms of, like, you know, the, the real literary merit of these things is, right. he, is he, through he, the roof. It's not just that world. He's stepping outside, framing it with something a little more complex. Yeah. And, I mean, that was 2013. It seems in the last five, six, seven years... He's more and more interested in the nature of storytelling, you know? Um, you guys take a look at Goon Noir? Yeah, I have to tell you, man, without color, I get kind of... Uh, <laughs> get bored, right? This is like fan fiction to me. Goon Noir right? was not that great. I will say, I do like the, um, the Dwight T. Albatross stuff. You know, the, the silly pal alter ego where he's, you know... So the idea is that he, I guess he has put this book together and he has done the dedication, the introduction, the forward, the intermission afterwards, and they're all just about him. It <laughs> has nothing to do with Pal, even like fake drawings in the back, <laughs> you know, of like, you know, boobs and things. Like, it's all so silly and stupid. I, I love, oh yeah, the biography of Dwight T. Albatross in the back. I love that. See, you didn't like it it's, in... It's being silly, right? In, it's fun. Say, in Sodomy Baby, I think, like, 
it takes it to another maybe, level. Maybe it's done better here. I don't. I don't. I can just kind of skimmed it. I have to say, it, it's ridiculous, but it, it's more of that kind of doppelganger play that I think is <coughs> so much fun. I don't know. That I think is my favorite part of Goon Noir. Um, the title. I'm not really sure that these are particularly noirish. I don't understand that so much, but um, I think they're. There are a couple moments that kind of stand out as good. Do you think it, it's literal? Like, it's black and white? It's black and white. The weird thing that stand out for me... That's kind of what I took it as, because it was like, right. oh, it's black and white. It's not as... It's, it's not noir stories like Raymond no. Chandler or something like that. I mean, I think it maybe the black and white's going for that appeal, but I don't know. I don't make too much of it. Um, most of them are much like the stuff we get at the back of some of these trade paperbacks, you know, the, this kind of cadre of, yeah, of kind of extras and stuff like that yeah. fans, you know, you know, look, professionals, but, but fans, Tributes, but yeah, you know, kind of mash up the characters. The writing isn't as sharp, which the always feels off to me. I never liked that. I, yeah, I'm not crazy about some of those fan. Yeah. Uh, not even, even if the fans are comic artists, like, right. Just let the guy do his thing. Do his thing. There's a lot of spider in it. That, yeah. Um, the same thing, I don't like these, Tribute albums that that are the artists. Oh, like, well, that's they, like they're going to do at his wedding. Yeah, they're going to no. do Nirvana. Mm-hmm. It's like, eh, it's interesting, yeah. but eh. I don't know. Uh, there's a couple weird things. I think I'm on one of them. <laughs> oh yeah, do you want to you want to play no, a little no, shout no, out? Come on. I don't know if any of you made it. Just but. tell us the artist you were covering. Well, there's a big star and then a Bobby Fuller four. Wow, big oh, yeah? star. Bobby right. Fuller four, really? I don't even know if they came out. <laughs> interesting. The rag and bone thing is very weird. It seems to be these characters that are um, Dustin Hoffman and who's the uh, uh, Peter Cook, right? And they're these like body collectors in the street of London, and it's old timey. And the goon gets hooked up with them, but most of it is dialogue between them. Okay, it's very strange. I almost respected it for its weirdness, but um, I don't know where this thing comes from. I, I I guess you have to be more of a fan of. Their comedy from that's like from the seventies, I think, right? Uh, the next one is Hey Goon Comics, which is this weird kind of uh, Yogi Bear eyes goon. Ah, interesting. And there's this rev- yeah, you get this like Yogi Bear as the goon and Frankie as Boo Boo, and they're okay. fighting zombies. And it turns out cool at the end, is, a zombie is writing the comic <laughs> that Frankie finds. It, it's it's kind of strange. I kind of like it a little. Um, most of the other stuff is a lot of it's like, like very gross, um, and there's some celebrity kind of story. Like the one Patton Oswalt does is interesting, uh, not because the story is good. I actually think the story kind of sucks, but it's done in a very easy Tales from the Crypt yeah. style, where you have the big introduction face, you know, kind of narrating it, and then you even like you know the smaller ones that remind you the narrators there um, as you kind of go through the story itself. So there, I mean, there are some interesting things in here, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. The the stuff that Pal is involved in is really good, though. So is that the way it always is, though, when he actually directly inserts himself? Yeah. So he in this one, uh, Peg Lake Full of Heaven, is I guess collaborating with Tom uh, Snagoski. I think is how you say that name, and I don't know if he's writing or just doing the art, but this clearly looks like Pal's art. And it's almost a shame that this is in here because it makes the rest of it look right. worse. Yeah. You know, it, it's, if, if he 
you know, put this in his own goon, I think the other stuff would be a little more palatable. But, I mean, it's just, he's, he's so good that he makes level, people right? look bad. You know, which is a nice compliment, I guess, for him, but not really for the other people. But, yeah, that's about it. Uh, Goon Wars. Not great, but I guess I'm glad it exists. Um, all right, what else? What else do we have? Oh, there's two There's two mashups that I didn't think were very good. Did either anybody read the Deathlock versus the Goon thing from no. 2009? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're missing too much. I, I'm not feeling better now. I thought yeah. I really no, did. No, no, you did. You did. powerful amounts of reading, man. Come you on. did not a lot. You didn't do your own. That's fine. Um, we're working men here. <laughs> Deathlock is... I didn't know much about it, but it, it's a... It's a um, Adult Swim cartoon, you know. That's about yes, like yes. Uh, heavy metal. It seems very much um, uh, Spinal Tappy. You know, it's like Spinal Tap for like you know death metal fans, okay. I guess. You know, and all the characters seem to have like specific uh, styles. Brand Brendan Small seems to be the kind of mastermind behind it, and basically, it's just you know, it's kind of similar to the Hellboy thing. Goon comes upon, you know, the Deathlock guys. They have an adventure. And that's about it, you know. The There's another mashup that's very similar. Oh, it's, it's When Freaks Collide, which is uh, Criminal Macabre from I did 2011. Read I read that one. Yeah, again, I don't know Criminal Macabre that well, just like I don't know Deathlock that well. I've tried to retain it now. This is weeks ago. <laughs> So basically, I mean, what happens is you didn't take oh, the copious they about these, the, like the werewolves and the vampires on yeah. the planet. It was yeah, it was, oh. it, it was hard to follow. They, there's like they do something. Somebody's controlling them and putting them in this. They end up like in a different dimension and have to get yeah, out of it. It was a little confusing. Okay. It seems to be like pretty much locked into the mythology of I guess criminal macabre, which is. Like from like yeah, which the, is not the familiar 90s. to me. I don't, I don't yeah. know anything about it. So I, I think if like you were a Deathlock fan or a Criminal Macabre fan, I think you'd probably really dig it. And the goons, Goon and Frankie were kind of like guests in this universe, right? Exactly. It seems to be more more their world than yeah. Pal's. So yeah. where I think Hellboy seemed to be far more Pal's world, and Hellboy was like visiting right there, and I think that works it's better. Reversed. But I like Hellboy too, so that helps. But in the end, Hellboy shows up in this when freaks collide. And I think that seems to be a kind of nod back to the Hellboy mashup. And I don't, you know, I don't, I didn't take it very seriously at all. Um, but I guess, you know, I appreciate those mashups, you know, it's because I think if you can hit like two things you really love and get all the inside jokes and understand the I whole don't know. context. Sometimes I feel like it's like selling, selling out a character, you know, like maybe Goon should just be left alone in his world, you know. I don't know. I mean, look, when you watched Scooby-Doo, didn't you really like, like when... Doobie the Brothers. Brothers. It's like having the Doobie Brothers on what's happening. I think we made the, <laughs> Which we talk about. Like, I think we made the same joke. <laughs> I know. We well, there was an episode of Scooby-Doo where they got oh, together with Josie and the Pussycat. Right. It was fantastic, right? And the Harlem Globetrotters and Dom Knotts. Dom Knotts. If you're eight, it's fantastic. If you're ten, you see... I was eight. It was fantastic. It was really great. I'm being manipulated here. All right. A couple more things. Uh, Spook House. Do you guys read Spook House? Ah, you guys didn't read Spook House? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> we had to read so much, I forget what I read. Had, like 30 items on this thing, and well, I'm sorry. So, I, I, I should say, so I gave them all my material, and they had to switch it up, and it was a big thing. We but tried. We I tried, we did. We, we actually tried hard. We, we, I'm not shaming you. I'm just, I'm, I'm, so the first couple of issues of Spook House 
where it's I really... I we don't make money off this podcast. We got to work <laughs> our jobs and stuff. It costs quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't charge you guys any of the money. Um, so the... It's definitely for kids. It's in the spirit of chimichanga. So think about the kind of tone of chimichanga mashed up with like an old school um, EC thing, like Tales from the Crypt, and and that's what it is. It's like it's like fun, playful horror for kids. And the first couple issues are like really, really pal heavy. By the last couple, it's him um, mixing it up and really creating an anthology of other people's things. And when it's pal, it's it's just so it's so pal, much better. As always, you know. But but you know, it, it the issues are basically like you know, you know, your teacher's a monster. You know, how do we get back at those bullies? Or my parents don't understand me. Mm. You know, and, and it's, it's just fun. like likable stuff. Yeah, it's fun. It it almost has like a Simpsons Tree House of Horror. I think feel. Okay. Which, by the way, I found this last night, and I guess um, he talked about it in the. Um, Master Modern Shares. Masters thing that he did a, a, a comic Treehouse of Horrors number 12 huh. oh. and it's really twisted you want to hear the story yeah. I don't want to be too spoilery but yeah. <laughs> we, you mean the, like it was a Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors so it's a Simpsons comic I might have seen it oh a comic not, no no not, not, not the oh, okay. not the television not the cartoon okay. itself okay. but it was pretty like it was more twisted than you would, like they couldn't have done this as a as an episode okay um, basically um, Willie Willie gets confused and sends away for a mail order bride. That's what he means to do. But he, but because um, Bart ripped out part of the page, he ends up getting an emu. So he has sex Married with the emu. emu. Okay. He has sex with the emu, and, which they only apply. They don't really show. And the emu escapes. Homer is hungry for fried chicken and cooks and eats the emu. And Willie... <laughs> Willie, who wants to take revenge out of Homer, cooks and serves Marge to oh, man. Wow. to Homer. It's pretty disturbing. <laughs> and then at the end, like, you know, the aliens from the Trios right, Horrors right. come and comment. But um, it, it's, you know, it's fun. It's heavy. I, I would say that Trios of Hard, uh, I'm sorry, um, Spook House does not go that kind of graphic. Right. But the... I think its structure is kind of set up like Trials of Horror. Like, mm. three episodes. Like, you can see, like, an right. inspiration from it. Kang, and what's the other guy's name? Oh, yeah. Kang and... Tang, is it? It might be. Yeah, something like that. That's right. I love those guys. Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, the... Yeah, what else? I don't know. How to cook the 40 humans. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, it, has, um, it has fake ads in it. You know, kind of it like... Anyway. Yeah, so I think Georgie would like it a lot. Um, but they're cut, they're more playful. They're kind of takes on, you know, uh, extra glasses and things like that from old, like, you know, 50s, 60s style things. Um, but you know, there's always some kind of like strange demented thing, but they're kids demented, not really, you know, big man plans demented. But again, that versatility is, you know, very few things in this world are big man plans demented. Let me tell you. So yeah, that's something to check out. You know, some of the artwork is through the roof great. In that, like some of the best pal stuff, I think. Um, that's about it. The, the a couple other things that like I, I just heard of are he seems to be doing illustrations for Adventures of Huckleberry Finn uh, novel. I can see that he likes something like that. Yeah, and and you can see online the uh, cover image. It's gorgeous. We talked about that with 
um, Isle of Dr. Moreau. Like, right. we want to see him but do this that, like, Even before that, with the Hellboy, with the framing thing, that was yeah. like very Tom Sawyer to me. That right. kind of uh, right, right, right. He finds yeah. the issue and he picks yeah. it up and right, falls right. into oh. the issue. Yeah. Oh, that that where you have the uh, the, the child, the, like the uh, it's almost like Polaroid photographs of right. the kid. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. I forgot all about that. Um, but yeah, like when that when that comes, I mean, I've read and taught Huckleberry Finn multiple times. When that comes out, I'll buy that because it looked like. Just for that cover image. I hope there's a lot of it in there. I think that seems to be coming out in 2018. Um, and, oh yeah, the, the roller derby thing is... That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of a bold choice to take on that as well. With the, yeah. you know, all the racial issues and stuff with that. Like, how do you present all that now? Yeah, well, I mean, in, in the Modern Masters, actually. I think it's in Modern Masters. Or maybe some other interview. Pal talks about that. And... He actually, he, I mean, you can tell he's a real kind of like anti-censorship guy, which every human mm-hmm. should be. And basically he's saying, um, you know, why is it that we focus on this book when it comes to certain language? You know, uh, he makes it, he says something like, you know, pick up the, um, you know, Stephen King or something. Every novel has that word in it. Why is this one, you know, so focused on? And it's, be, you know, it's because of context, because it has this kind of classic, you know, feel to it it has this kind of sense of um of because it's taught in schools it's being i don't know uh, there's an agenda to it or I, I don't even know who's arguing the censorship issue what side is these days it's disturbing to me yeah, we, we don't censor to kill a mockingbird some people do some people do. yeah that's okay. out there right. i mean look the reality is i mean, we might have made this point before but it, it's I'm uncomfortable with the idea that the left is more likely to censor something these days than the right is. No, it's true. true. That, that's, I mean, that's true. And that's what I the meant. The right to, just won't publish it, but the left will censor it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's under the guise of being, you know, right. being right-minded, being right. sensitive to other interest. people's right. points of view, but I think it's just as insidious. Um, I mean, I think those are the left politics. Yeah, I think the intentions are Powell's better. Doing. The intentions are better. Yeah, sure. But neoliberals, the results are shutting yeah. things down and... and uh, you know, the right will put you in jail for, like, smoking right, some pot. Right. No, look, I, trust me, you know, I, I'm on the right side here, you know, but there's too many hypocrisy, uh, hypocrisies these days for my liking. I think Powell is in the same kind of area when it comes to these things. Um, listen, on that note, I'm going to say, and this is a direct appeal to Eric Powell himself, <laughs> should he ever listen. Make sure I go to New York City Comic Con. <laughs> Eric Powell. Just show up once so I can meet you. Oh, really? he doesn't just, go? It never been. Every year I look for him. I'm hoping look, I get the guy. Will Eric Powell be this year? It's in the fall? Yeah, it usually happens like uh, right around the last, uh, last few weeks of September or early October. Hmm. Come on, Eric Powell. Right, just come just, out to just, come just, come you just made it happen. That's right. I'll I don't know if I can handle the crowds, man. It's fantastic. Yeah? It's like, well, maybe I'll go one day. Um, beautiful experience. Yeah, by the way, the, the roller derby thing, which I haven't seen in full, is from an anthology called Jam, apparently, by Oni Press. Okay. I might like to get my hands on that, too. A uh, roller derby term. Uh, is it jam. Jam? Yeah, jam, right. Yeah, jam. You, so. you, get, you block the, the lead girl from going around. You create a jam. It's like this. Thing. I've seen it once. It's cool. Right. Well, there's two different kinds of roller derby, right? So there's roller derby that's fictitious, like professional wrestling which sometimes was aired on television. And then there's actual roller derby, where, okay. right. So um, one's choreographed, the other's kind of like correct, really happening. Right. Got it. Yeah. Just, just like, you know, there's collegiate wrestling and then there's professional style wrestling. So that's all I have. I know there's other pal stuff. Like, I know he's done a lot of covers for, like, superhero comics. Right. And he did, like... Um, he's done the big two. 
Like yeah. He, he did Wolverine. Right. I think he did some Batman for a while. I don't think he's doing full um, stories or whatever. I know he's done a, like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer Well, things. no. When you work for the bigs, you don't do the whole project. Yeah, you're, I don't you're really know it how as it works. A, right? You're, you know, a piece of the, the process, right? Mm-hmm. You're, like, you're the ink man or the illustrator, right? I mean, yeah. this is what you do. Yeah, and it seems like, what, if you do a cover that's kind of prestigious, I'm... I'm not really in that world. I mean, from what, like, my comic tastes go with a kind of auteurism. I mean, I'm going to apply the film, the cinematic term to it because I don't really know how it's viewed in comics, but the idea that... Right in the corporate... uh... I like 40 the, people have worked on this comic. Right. Yeah. I like, you know, Chester Brown, Chris Ware, guys that are coming in, they're writing their own stuff, they're producing their own stuff. But I guess the DC and Marvel don't, they're more assembly line, right? Yeah, because it's all about the character, it's not about the author, it's not yeah. about the illustrator. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess we could, you know, hunt down all of those covers and look at, right. it seems to be a lot of stuff. Well, I'm sure those have paid the bills. Yeah, and that doesn't seem to be the stuff that, I mean, he, I think he's like, a, he's a... He's, he's a paid guy on those. It's not really right, his right. mind at work, I guess, as much as these other things. I really just wanted to focus on him as kind of auteur in a way, mm-hmm. which I think we've right, we we did. We've done. If you go to Wikipedia, you'll find a resource of what all that is, and that it's mm-hmm. all there. Yeah, well, I was, I was shocked how much I was finding um, outside of Wikipedia, because, I mean, the Goon stuff looks pretty comprehensive. But when you look at, like, his, like, bibliography outside of that, I was finding all kinds of, like, the roller derby stuff, for instance, was... Something I came across in other places. Interesting. So, yeah, I don't think it's exhaustive there. Um, and I, I, my guess is I'm probably missing half a dozen things, you know, that could be talked about. Let me know if I, I am. One Twitter. more top ten list. Whoa. Top, I got a couple. These are just top ten lists. That's good, because we can't end week kind of just trailing right. off. Let's, oh, the comic books I just love strong. in my life. Oh, so New, I got a list like that, right, too. New rule, all right? So, uh, Atomic Robo. Great what? comic. Oh, I, you know, I've never read that. I've, that's been recommended to me several times. If you like Isolation, you like Atomic Robot. Okay. Great book, interesting character. Uh, the original Marvel Secret Wars. Okay. Was the, the original sort of mashup of good versus evil. Um, it's a 12-issue set. It's actually what turned me on the comic books back in the 1980s. That's the 80s? The 80s, right. Okay. 1984, right? Yeah. Someone put that in my hands. Uh, Dark Horse is Conan. Okay. Right. And, and there's different artists that just paid different books. I, just, I like Conan as a character, and he plays well in a visual way. I feel like Powell might have had something to do with Conan at some time. I don't. Maybe I'm I wrong would read on that. that. I didn't know maybe that. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, the Marvel superhero Thor, but not the whole arc, mm-hmm. not the whole series. There was a, a period in the '80s where he had a uh, a character involved called Beta Ray Bill, who was an alien who managed to pick up the hammer. So That's very specific. He became Thor for a while, right? Those those books, <laughs> that artwork. Yeah. I like Beta Ray Bill. That's what. When is it? Is that like '70s, '80s? No, mid 1980s, '85, '86. '85. Okay. Right? ElfQuest. Complete series. So I hear ElfQuest is great. Beautiful. Maybe you recommended ElfQuest. Right. I think I, I probably think have. It's sitting there on my shelf right next yeah. to me. So uh, another comic that's similar to... Wait, ElfQuest is kind of like it's fantasy the... D&D-ish. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. These elves. But you, yeah, there's a whole sci-fi element to it. I can tell it. just for the font on that book. Right. It's, oh, yeah, there it, is. It, it, it speaks to that. Uh, Thorgol. I don't know that. Thorgol is a Conan-like character, but he's actually an alien who was left on Earth and being raised by Vikings. Uh, hmm. It's just interesting. It's a, a four-book set, if you get the trade paperback. Are these listed in, like, one through ten order, or are these just... No, just no general, like, order? yeah, no. Okay. Uh, the original Longshot series. Longshot's a character. I don't know that universe. either. Uh, he was interesting, and his... Uh, it was, I think, a twelve-book set that was his um, his introduction to the world. Uh, a humorous comic by Marvel called Gru. Gru the Wanderer. Oh, I know Gru. Gru. I've seen that. He's like a Viking kind of yeah. barbarian. Yeah. Um, and in particular, in the early series, it looks like classical, like 
50s yes. like comic strip it's style. Silly looking, right? right. Yeah. There was a, a reoccurring character called the Minstrel who would only speak in rhyming verse and tell Bruce tale. That's just funny stuff. I thought that was good. Um, the online comic, The Order of the Stick. Oh, you've, you've recommended that many right. times. Oh, many times. So I've seen a bit of that. that and, that's good stuff. And finally, the Marvel characters, Cloak and Dagger. I, I like that when it came out. It was different. It was interesting. Is it, what is that? That's later, too? That's like uh, 80s, 90s? 80s, yeah. Cloak and Dagger. Mm. Interesting. That's my list. So you're, you're heavier on, like, fantasy and superheroes. Yes. So, yeah, I get that. My list is... I don't have any of that, I don't think. Uh, I'm, I'm more like that kind of auteurist, you know, right. like kind of, I guess what you'd call indie or alternative comics now. So I did them by number because I'm obsessive. Um, top 10. Number one, Love and Rockets. I know, Paul, I tried to hook you over to Love and Rockets. It didn't uh, really take. So, you're not so really a comic always, guy, though. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. I would love to do a Love. I always, I always um, say like the one day, like no one's going to do this with me anymore. Like, I'll just go out alone and I'll do Love and Rockets and, <laughs> and I'll just give monologues on it. Um, uh, three hours. <laughs> it's a lot of material. Right, three it's hours and zero listeners. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm not even listening myself. Back, right. Um, Pure masturbation. Number... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. Look, I got to get you because I don't have a top ten list here so I got to make jokes <laughs> or something. I'll ask you something. You told you Jackie the Joke Man right here, right? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Number two, The Goon. Number two, okay. I, I, I'm not going to put it over Love and Rockets, but I, I pure enjoyable, like pure like experience. I couldn't wait for the next trade to come out. Goon, love it. Um, number three, Chester Brown. I'm saying his whole catalog, but particularly two books: Ed the Happy Clown, which is twisted. You see, I think yeah. I, I think I've. Uh, you gave those. I think I gave okay. you Ed the Happy Clown and Paying for It, which is a book about um, prostitution. Um, very philosophical, like. Unbelievable. All Chester Brown is amazing, though. But Chester Brown. Number four, R. Crumb. Yeah. I would say just his catalog, Absolutely. you know? Right. Um, I mean, that that's... I'm taking a, a real huge. big swipe. Right. It's enormous. It's like 40 years worth of material. But, um, you know, you go back and read his stuff. It's it's so ahead of its time. Like, he's, he's the reason that all the other people on the list exist, in my opinion. Number five, Peanuts. Charles wow. Schultz. I've gone back and I've re- I've read all the like the old Peanuts through like the seventies. It's really heady, isn't it? Like it's oh, it's so great. It's different. So great. Um, I mean, just not just the world building, but like in terms of like character, it's interesting to see how like these characters evolved and gained personalities. I so recommend going back to the beginning and read from like nineteen fifty and reading Peanuts. Really, really yeah. great. Um, number six is a standalone comic. It's Asterios Pollock. Anyway, you know that? It's by uh, David uh, Musicelli. I think I'm saying that right. And it's very philosophical. It blew my mind. I don't know anything else by him, but Asterios Polyp is extraordinary. Seven, I would say the whole kind of catalog of Chris Ware, but particularly Building Stories and Jimmy Corrigan. Building Stories is amazing. You've read Building Stories, right, Paul? No. No. Oh, I thought you did. I bought it for you as a kid. I know. You already had it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wound up giving it to my cousin rather than reading it. So Thank you, though. I, yeah, you should read Well, you borrow mine and read it. It's amazing. Right. It is It is avant-garde storytelling. Mm-hmm. It is harrowing and beautiful. Um, number eight, uh, Tony Millionaire's Mackie's, right, which is the disturbing... Um, they, I used to read them in the Village Voice when we were kids, but you can buy like you know the collections of them. Mackey's is amazing. Um, Drinky Crow and 
you know, Tricky Crow. Tricky Crow. There was a there was a Adult Swim animated series based on it. If you're interested in it, but uh, great stuff. Number nine, uh, I would say the catalog of Seth, right? The oh, okay. the um, Canadian comic uh, comic uh, author. Particularly, it's a good life if you don't weaken his first. Um, his first kind of major graphic novel thing, but anything from Palookaville is amazing. And 10, uh, American Splendor, Harvey Picar. I like other Harvey Picar as well, but American Splendor is special. I, I also made an honorable mentions list because I had so wow. I had such a hard time Just paring down 10. Did Snake and Bacon make your list? Snake and Bacon uh, I like, but uh, <laughs> did not make my list. I love Snake and Bacon. Honorable mentions, uh, Alison Bechtel, uh, uh, Daniel Klaus, uh, Edward Gorey. Oh, oh I like Edward Gorey. I guess it comes in college. Oh, I wouldn't either, but you know what? You make a good point. Absolutely. Why not? Right? Uh, Gary Panter, Jim Woodring, Frank's stuff is amazing. Uh, I love Sin City. Um, Sin it, City's good stuff. I've been, I went back and been reading um, Ignots and Crazy Cat. The George Harriman that's, stuff. I read some of From like the, yeah. the teens and 20s. Yeah, that's really early. It's so smart. It's blown my mind recently. Uh, that would probably be I my think number one. I think Mortal always cite Crazy Cat as like a Crazy Cat is so good. I'm telling you. You know what else is good? Nancy's good too. I didn't, that didn't make my list. Nancy, early Nancy. Nancy was unique too. Yeah. Um, Binky Brown meets the Holy Virgin Mary by uh, Justin Green from the 70s. That thing's a game changer. Check that out. And Walking Dead. Walking Dead comic series is great. I think I think the, uh, this, the television series is almost... I don't know, maybe tarnished a little bit of the reputation right, right. of the comic, which is unfair. The comic is still going strong and really great. Just but, just since uh, George Romero died the other day, I read that he yeah. referred to it as a soap opera, so he he didn't obviously approve of it. No, yeah, yeah, recently, the right? The television series. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, Walking Dead television series, right. you know, he said it was kind of a soap opera. Yeah, and I think he... I think I just read this the other day that he said that's why he kind of uh, moved away from zombies. They didn't like the way that zombies were going. Is there something like that I read? How could he move away from zombies? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, George Romero. Let's dedicate this episode to George Romero. Right, there you go. Our very first dedication. You know what? Just in the old bit, they showed a, f- a single frame from Night of the Living Dead. It pulled you right back. It was so evocative. Oh. Just this field with the dead bodies in right. black and white, you know? Coming across the bed, people right. walking and the shambling through. So th- that movie's ex- extraordinary. Absolutely. Extraordinary. Not just because of, like, you know, it, it's like creates a mythology, you know, that, that's but it still going stronger than ever. that whole universe with all its rules, that, and everybody yeah. still follows these rules and of the zombies. Well, not and Pal, not Pal, though, right. exactly. No, no, In that no. movie, they never explain why the dead are walking, right? Um, no, they did. There was some virus brought back from a Venus probe. Yeah. Okay. It's not a huge plot point, though. It is kind of it a didn't throwaway. Matter. It didn't matter, but it was, on, like, on yeah. the TV in the all background, right. they did mention this. Yeah. But uh, Dawn of the Dead... He, he starts getting into Willie Nagel or Day of the Dead. Yes. You know, with... I think it's more Day of the Dead. But, um, so not just, like, you know, all that mythology, but the, the political messaging that he, he kind of superimposes on each one of those dead films. Right. It was clear. And how different each film is for the time. Like, Night of the Living Dead is so 68. Dawn of the Dead is so, like, 78, you right. know. Day of the Dead is so 85. Like, it, it's... It's like he grows with them and exactly. reimagines them, but still keeps that as part of the, the natural world. Uh, those movies are amazing. And George Romero, right, had some really 
good movies. Uh, we were talking about Martin, right? Martin, I like Martin. Yeah, that was a unique vampire movie. Uh, Martin's great, and Cre- the original Creep Show from like what is that, like eighty four? We just watched that the other day. Too. Yeah. yeah, like he was doing some Stephen really cool King, things. Yeah, Creep Show, the stories that. Yeah. So all right, I guess that's it for Eric Powell and the Goon and everything else. If more Goon things show up, um, you know. You know, in the future, if we're still doing podcasts in those, you know, we'll get together and uh, revisit. But uh, I think for the time being, anyway, we're kind of done. Um, next week, a different uh, set of podcasts, a different catalog without you guys. Although I would hope that you guys are not done with doing my podcast. Um, but we will be looking at the catalog of Otis Redding. A little bit different than uh, Eric Powell, but... Uh, but that's it. Uh, you look like you have something to say, my friend. Other than it, just it's been a pleasure. Yeah. A lot of fun. Great stuff. I, I'm, Thank I'm, you, Joe. I'm going to miss our uh, our look forward to time, Otis. But, uh, yeah, please listen to Otis Redding. Uh, Try a little tenderness. He's uh, <laughs> he's my favorite singer ever, as I'll probably say ad nauseum during the podcast. All right, thanks for anybody that uh, improbably has uh, listened to all of us. All three of you. <laughs> Bye.